Pickaxe. Hello and welcome back to the Review of Death, a Doctor Who podcast, your fortnightly home for Doctor Who news and reviews. I'm Matthew Toffolo. I'm joined by Billy Garrett John. And we are joined by the lovely Christopher Chris Chapman. How are you Aww. doing, sir? You're yeah, all right? Yeah, no, very well, thank you. You've travelled very far, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, all the way from uh, just south of the Bristol Harbour. Yeah. <laughs> we basically so walked the same route. Yeah. I went on an electric scooter. Did you? And I scootered on an electric scooter. You got on a boy? Yeah. I really, I love scootering and, and I kind of find it very easy because I'm always late for things. Yeah. So I just go, oh, I would walk, but I'll scooter instead. Uh, I yeah. tell you what, the boys are amazing. I love boys in Bristol. Well, we, you well had I, tr- I had a go on one and it was a disaster. So I, think, I had to hold on to you yeah, for was, dear life. It was like something out of Titanic. It was quite It was, oh, it was, it was very romantic. You can't do tandem. Don't tandem. I know, I know. You will die. Shit. So yeah. What are we here to do today, Matt? Uh, we are here, well, to interview Mr. Chapman. About we, we what is sit here and we'll have a chat. We're just going to chat, yeah. chat shit about Doctor Who, right. really. Yeah. Um, news-wise, anything happened? Anything exciting happening in the world of Doctor Who? We do a box set soon, apparently. Yes. Yeah, apparently. Next couple of days. It was all a bit mad, wasn't it? The news for a few weeks. I know you. I watched your last episode and I was thinking, we've had all this new Doctor stuff. It yeah. feels like we've had a moment of calm. I know. In the last week or so. When's yeah. it going to kick off again? I think soon. I I think that Russell. I don't know anything. No, no, of course at not. all. But <laughs> yeah. I suspect Russell has found a new way of doing an anniversary story. Mm. Right. I think he's looked at the format that we've always had mm. of yeah. let's get one thing and get them all in it, and he's gone. Actually, I've got a different idea, mm. a different way of doing this that yeah. won't just feel like I'm repeating Dare the Doctor or whatever. So I th- I think I think as you've said before, I think we will. I think there were probably a lot of big surprises coming. Mm. Yeah. But again, I don't know anything about. But you can just feel it, can't you? Yeah, it feels like it's going to be but it has different gone, than before. You're right, but it has gone eerily quiet, I think, mm. in terms of the stuff. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? You've got to keep them wanting more. I know, I know. Because everyone got so into the rhythm of, oh, it's, it's a Sunday, so here's a, <laughs> check Instagram, what's Russell doing? I and then Russell posted that very uh, knowing <laughs> picture of himself with the yeah. Doctor Who annual in the background, and everyone was like, oh, what does it mean? First Doctor's like, well, coming back. Um, I'm just... But I can't believe they haven't announced Rachel Talele's coming back because it's kind of all but confirmed. Have they not? I thought there's no press release. Was there to say that she was coming back? Nothing apart from that she started talking about it, hasn't she? And DWM retweeted her. Oh, did they? Yeah. So I'm kind of guessing it's. I think that's lovely. I love that idea that he's kind of cherry picking. He's not just saying because it felt like he was getting his. His gang back yes. together, and like everybody, Phil Collinson's back, and all this kind of stuff. But to then see him go, "Oh, I like that thing that mm, Stephen yeah. did here," and I, oh, I like, I like what Rachel did, and, definitely. And and that feels really, that, it's the smartest way to do it. Mm. But often mm. it wouldn't happen, yeah, because people would have their people, yeah. exactly. But I think that's very exciting. So, so what do we think? Multiple specials? I'd like to think so. I think it seems that way. Yeah. If they're recording that early. Yeah. This is not going out November 23rd next year, surely. Could it be a Christmas? We were talking about this before. Could it be a Christmas mm. special? Yeah, and again, I, I don't know anything, but I, I, my guess would be like some kind of mini-series mm. of, of three or something. Mm. Yeah. And that's his chance to kind of to get, to get David back, yeah. Yeah. to cast Hugh Grant. I know Hugh Grant said he wasn't in it, <laughs> but I'm like, it's, Hugh Grant's going to be the Doctor at some point. And, and if you were pitching it to you, Hugh Grant would never do like a series. Yeah. yeah. But he might do 60 Minutes. Yeah. You know, he might do a one-off, and then maybe the third is somebody that we ha- can't even fathom. Yeah. Maybe the third is Kate Winslet. Or yeah. You know, you know who, again, who again they've approached before. Yeah. So I think it would be Russell thinking, who have I always wanted to get? Who would be an amazing doctor? Mm. And then we go shooty like we we, we clear the palette. Mm. Yes. We don't 
bother Shooty with like the anniversary stuff, yeah. no. which is so much weight of history. Of course. Yes. You want Shooty to be fresh yeah. and, and clean of all this stuff, of all, of all the fanish stuff. Yeah. And that's what I'd love. I'd love it to feel like a real, I'd love it if there was a gap mm. in, this, in the narrative, mm. you know, that maybe Shooty, like Eccleston, there's this feeling of, he, he may have yeah. been traveling for years. And appears yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't need, I don't think you'll see a regeneration into Shooty, mm. is my guess. You mm. won't see somebody's face change into Shooty. Yeah. I could be wrong. But I, I think there'll be a sense of a real jumping on mm. point. I've always felt that Jodie will walk <clears throat> into the sunset, but from the shooty end of it, the only thing I've ever surmised is that Eccleston thing, that he'll just float yeah. into the world. And, and, he's and I think it's probably going to be a conscious effort to try and let's not focus on the numbers. We've got so many doctors mm. now, mm. and so many in-between doctors that we don't really even know where they are. Yeah. So why not just go, oh, bugger it. You he's know, the he is, he is the doctor. Yeah. And that's all we need to know. And you can see they did that in Doctor Who magazine, didn't mm. they? Yes. That they didn't number anybody. Mm. And you're like, ah, yeah. ha, ha, <laughs> well, well, well. The game's afoot, isn't it, gentlemen? But yeah, and, and I'm all for it. I, I, I'm so excited to have Russell back. And, and I can't wait to see it. So I, I just that feeling as a fan of thinking, I trust these guys. Mm. Yes. For it to be great. Mm. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to get weird about it. I'm no. just looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, on that, let's jump into today's topic, which, yes. of course, is Chris Chapman himself. Ah. Um, <laughs> I should know about this, shouldn't I? This yeah, should yeah. be my specialist subject. It should be. If, if you're on mind, I don't know. I don't know. Um, hooray and DVD extraordinaire, right yeah. at the big finish, yeah. and a lot of other stuff in between. Yeah. How did you become a Doctor Who fan, first and foremost? And did that in any way inform what you have gone on to sort of do and become? Yeah. Uh, where did it start? I... I... I I imagine from well from a very early age I've always loved science fiction and stories and fantasy and all these all these kind of this melting pot of all the series that we love and I would have started I would have got glimpses of Doctor Who mm. I was born in eighty one mm. so I remember glimpses of Trial of a Time Lord okay. uh, so my first memories are seeing stuff seeing the Doctor and Perry in the autumnal Ravalox forest yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd mixed it together with Mind Warp so I thought they went down the escalator and found Bald Perry and then, <laughs> Brian, bless him. And then shot her in the face <laughs> I thought that was how it went and it took me years to realise it wasn't and I remember the Vervoids and yeah. I remember that, that episode 2 cliffhanger when they find the lady in the uh, in, yeah, in, in, the, in the room. What's they, the name of the room? There's a number, isn't there? Yes, oh, there is. Ah, uh, oh no, yeah, yeah, right. In the in her actual room. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. she kind of turns, and she's half vervoid. And, yeah, oh, that's, and that's lovely. lovely. And I always loved anything to do with metamorphosis as a kid. Really scared me, so that got me. But it was really uh, vividly. I remember. I remember bits of McCoy's first season, but it was watching Remembrance of the Daleks mm. in '88. And I remember that just making me a fan and thinking I love Doctor Who. Yeah. And just that, particularly like Ace and Baseball Bats and stuff. Mm. And we went into school and we were, we were acting it out. People say Doctor Who wasn't popular then. I mm. mean, broadly it wasn't, but kids were still watching. Yeah. And so we would, we would act out Doctor Who between the sheds at school and, and uh, somebody would be the Doctor, somebody would be the little girl that's in the fake Davos chair. Yeah. And, yeah. and somebody would be Ace with a baseball bat. So that, that was it for me. And then... I was just gutted it wasn't on telly then. Mm. I didn't collect anything, any magazines. So I, when Survival ended, I didn't know. Like, well, I guess nobody knew it was over. Yeah. But I didn't know any information about it at all. And it took until about 93, when all the anniversary stuff started coming out, that I, I was probably at my most outsider in at school. I think I was quite I would have been like 12, 13, and I was probably a little bit isolated and, and odd. 
And, and I really gravitated back towards Doctor Who at that point. And like a lot of people do, you kind of see the character of the Doctor and you go, oh, they, he, 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 he's like me, but also maybe we could hang out and that'd be nice. And, and uh, started buying the VHSs and, and loved that. And then went from there to, I think I started subscribing. On the back of the videos, it would say, if you want to become a member of the Doctor yeah, Who fan club. Yeah. So I got Celestial Toy Room for a year. And then from that went to Doctor Who magazine, bought like downtime when it came out, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and also and all built up to the McGann TV movie. And I was and I kept everything. I had a little had a, like a scrapbook of all the cuttings that I could find and Amazing. everything. And uh, and then was just so sad that it didn't mm. that nothing came off because I thought I thought it was great. I, I watched it and then rewatched it immediately on the night and yeah. thought particularly that Paul was amazing. Uh, and then it was just really sad. And mm. slowly over the course of a few years, went off to uni, drifted from fandom. Because was, I didn't feel there was a lot for me to really get my teeth into, and and it was really uh, Russell bringing the show back in mm. two thousand four made me think, you know, I really want to get back into this world, and started buying everything again. And by this point, I gather you've chosen I'm going to be a filmmaker as like a career path. Oh uh, well, weirdly, I I I didn't want to be. I I I wanted to work for Empire. I was, right. just, I was just a massive movie nerd, yeah. and, I, and I still am, and I love movies, and that's my big thing. And, and, and so I wanted to write about movies, mm. and so I, everything was geared up for that. And I, would, I went and did work experience at my local paper when I was 14, and wrote film reviews, and cool. was a film review of after the work experience for them. And, and, uh, and then did my uh, part of my BA and all of my MA was film theory. Mm. So I was just writing about it. I didn't yeah. pick up a camera or anything. And it was weirdly, in 2005, a friend of mine said, have you seen this job advertised with ITV, mm. with Granada, um, up in Newcastle, where I was studying? Uh, and I, I thought, oh, well, that sounds quite fun. And that was basically those old Channel 4 shows they used to do. Uh, big six-hour things. Oh, right. Of, of they did the 100 Greatest Family Films. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. The one. And that was my first job in telly. I was, I was wow. working as a door-to-door salesman which is for two weeks, which is the worst job I ever had in my life. Oh my God, what are you flogging? <laughs> I was trying to get old ladies to sign up to OneTel uh, ah. to, to change all their phones and internet right. stuff. And it was just, I, I'm gonna, I'll write about it at some point because it was the worst thing mm. in the world. And I got the phone call on my worst day in that job to say, would you like to come and work in television? And Fantastic. it was this proper like clouds opening. Meant to be. Yeah. yeah. And then it went from there really. So that was 2005. So from there, that's, I mean, saying that you wanted to be a, a reviewer and stuff for, for Empire. It's from 2005 onwards that you kind of learn your visual grammar and making documentaries and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I started as a, I was a junior researcher. Mm. So I would have been uh, 23. Uh, so I was a bit late to it because yeah. I'd gone and done the MA and stuff. And, and I, I was a junior researcher, so I was the person who would uh, research the films and then write the questions up for the interviews. Mm -hmm. And then I would often not be doing the interview, but I'd be sitting in the background, keeping everybody right, sure. <laughs> making sure that, and then I'd be the runner. I'd be going and getting lunches and sorting out teas and stressing about parking mm. uh, and all that stuff. But it was the most fun job because uh, I would be nerding out far more than anybody else because I'd get to go and meet Ray Harryhausen. Mm. Wow. And yeah. We interviewed Ray and he, would, he brought this little coffin. Like, what's that, Ray? And he opened it up and it was this little 
one of the Jason and the, and the Argonaut skeletons. Amazing. Wow. With the arms that you can move and, and yeah. all that. So, and, and I, got, I got to like have lunch with Bert Kwok and everybody's like, it's Bert Kwok. And I was like, it's Bert Kwok. He was like talking about Kato and he was like, I don't want to go home, I hate my wife. Uh, oh my so God. Is, is there any way I can stay with you guys for lunch? And like, yes, Bert, yes. And you know, being able, I remember corresponding briefly with, with, with Lionel Jeffries, mm. director of the Railway Children and, yeah. And amazing Mr. Blunden, and uh, who's always been an idol of mine, and, and you know, all these people. It was just really fun, mm. and I was the one in the corner of the office saying, "I can't believe we get to do this. <laughs> this is amazing." Um, and 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 really, the, the, but the weird thing was, it was it was the fact that I, two years into that job, mm. they closed the office, and I was told, "Do you want to move to Leeds?" Mm. I couldn't move to Leeds for Newcastle, and and they said, "Well, that that's it then," and my ex at the time had all the way through that first job been saying when are you going to get a proper job oh, you know no. when are you you're not ambitious enough which is mad when are you when are you going to go and get a proper job and then she was convinced i should go she got me to apply for northern rock uh before the financial yeah person. yeah because she wanted me to work in the call center because that was a proper job being a junior researcher in telly was just make-believe stuff right red flags uh, yeah. red flags <laughs> yeah. and uh and then, and, and so I was going to have an interview at Northern Rock, and, and then uh, literally also that uh, uh, the clouds yeah. parted, and I and I got offered a job at a place in Newcastle called Dean Films, yeah, which was a small indie that was mostly doing uh, non-broadcast stuff. It was doing like commercials and corporate films and stuff, and and, um, and I was just very lucky there. I came in as an assistant producer, uh, and I was only an assistant producer for about two months because mm. I was shadowing the boss of the company, who was a director as well and he started saying I'm so busy Chris do you think you could do this interview for me or do you think you could direct today for me because I'm so busy and then he'd be like do you think you could do just do that whole film for me and do this and I was like yes whatever yes yes I'll do that and and was basically had two years you know I was there for about five years in total and I was just fast-tracked through a whole career wow. playing with everything and that's where I met people like kind of Neil Bushnell and Chris mm. Chatterton at Curious who we then we did the Ice Warriors animation mm -hmm. there and we started winning awards for things, and I started writing my own stuff, and I would, I'd be directing, but with a crew. I wouldn't be shooting my, physically myself. And, um, and then I suddenly realized, shit, we're making this stuff, and Doctor Who has these DVDs out, and they have special features, which, uh, you know, when I could do that. Mm. So I started talking to Dan Hall, and saying and showed him a film we'd made about conquer fighting, like a drama we'd shot about conquer fighting, but it was like Fight Club. It was like right, conquer right. fighting has been banned, and so the kids have set up a conquer conquer club in underground, and they and they're kicking the shit out of each other with conquers. And Dan really liked that, mm. and so said, "Do you want to come and do Doctor Who documentaries?" Wow! And that was two thousand and seven. From Little Acorns, eh? Yeah. Crikey. Oh, like conquers. <laughs> I'm not just here to look pretty. Um, I'm not even there for that. So. That's the stuff. Dean Films is a D E N E. Yeah, confusingly, it's because it was named because because there's this whole thing of a dean is like a, a river thing, isn't it? It's something in a river. Right. It's like a geographical feature. I and should know this. I did do GCSE geography, <laughs> but it's completely gone. It's something, and and so that it was named after the road that I think that the boss lived on mm. when he started the company, which was okay. Dean Road. And uh, annoyingly, it was one of those company names that, that whenever you'd phone up people, mm. you'd have to spell it. Because they would go like, what? And it just doesn't quite roll off the tongue, does but it? But it's, it's one of those names you see at the end of a lot of DVD features. I guess so, yes. Yeah, we, we, we would have plonked it on. And Pup is another one. You Pup see a lot of, obviously, Moon yeah. Balloon and stuff like that. So 
We'll talk about the collections and the sort of stuff you've done recently, but I really want to talk about some of the DVD features that you worked on. And maybe how, I mean, how do commissions and stuff like that work for the DVDs versus the Blu-rays nowadays? Yeah. And what were your first sort of features for the DVDs? It's probably not a million miles away. Uh, the boss at that point was Dan Hall, mm -hmm. and Dan Hall's company, as it came to be, was called Pup. Yeah. So initially Pup didn't exist, but ultimately Dan would be Pup, and the BBC would uh, give him a budget for a DVD release, and Pup would exec produce, essentially, everything that was on that set. Right. Uh, so it would be Dan who would then say to somebody like me, uh, "Oh, I've got. I'm doing uh, the War Games. Uh, what, what? You know." And Dan, and he might say, "I've only got five thousand pounds, or I've only got seven or ten thousand pounds." And uh, what can you do? And and often you that be the pitching process that you you would say, uh, "Here's three ideas, mm. all of which I think are doable for that cost. You've already got a making of going." And in, and the early stuff we did was shit. <laughs> right? the, early, the early stuff we did was terrible like, because we, we didn't know anything. Mm. So I always think whenever anybody joins the range, I want to give them time to, to bed in because we did like something about the, the real life history of the war games mm. and that was rubbish. <laughs> and then we did one about the links between the Manchurian candidate and yeah. Yeah. Deadly yeah. Assassin, yeah. which don't really exist, sure. <laughs> <laughs> which I realised halfway through making the doc. I'm like, ah, this, this isn't a documentary, is oh it? This isn't gonna, which is the nightmare. Uh, so it took us a it took us a while, and then I think by about the fourth or fifth one, we did the Creature from the Pit DVD, and yeah. we did a little like fifteen minute thing called Team Arato, which mm. is about the special effects guys, yeah. which we really enjoyed making. I thought this is really fun, mm. and the contributors are really fun. And I did an interview with Christopher Barry on that, mm. where where it looked nice, and and the feedback came back that it looked nice. Um, but the real I guess the real breakthrough was. Uh, Richard Marson, mm. that Richard um, has been involved in Doctor Who for years, and, but is more well known for being editor of, past editor of Blue Peter, and he was going to make a three-part documentary series called Who Peter for Dan, which was going to be about the links between Doctor Who and Blue Peter, so he's the perfect person to, to tell that story. And he'd had a whole, whole load of, of awful, awful things go, go, go on in, in real life, mm. uh, not his fault entirely, just, just, yeah. just awful things, uh, that meant he couldn't be involved in that release. And, uh, but he'd stayed on as a consultant. Uh, and so they, they'd, they said to me, would you like to come and direct this and Richard will be the consultant. And, and I think having that collaboration with Richard, um, Who Peter was one where we really thought actually the production values on this are really and, and much nicer, mm. and we can be playful in a way that we haven't been before. And I was able to be far more creative about the structure. So I was, I was saying, let's not do three, let's do two, because it feels like the first one is the classic series, and the second one is this kind of rags to riches story yeah. of surviving the wilderness, and then New Who kind mm. of, and Blue Peter becoming best buds again. And, mm. and, and, and that felt really nice. And, and I still keep that ethos of, you know, we could get someone like Gethin Jones to come and present that yeah. for no money at all, like yeah. really for no money at all, bless him. And and we're still doing that. <laughs> we're still getting like people like Frank Skinner to yeah. come and do it just by being cheap. Fielding popping up for yeah. the yeah. television centre one. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think we, we'll we'll keep doing that because it's amazing how if if you're honest about things and if you believe in the project you're mm. doing. You know, then you can get India Fisher to come and do her Master Chef voice in yeah. in the Doctor Who cookbook, whatever. Yeah. And, and people will do it if they think it's a nice project, even if you've got no money at all. Oh, that's always the bugger, isn't it? It's <laughs> always the bugger. So you mentioned Richard. Yeah. Oh, so was this? Did you know Richard from our school, or did I was, our I was school asked, come yeah. through? No, that? no, not at all. So uh, 
who Peter was the first time I'd ever met Richard, and then we worked together, we got on really well, and we worked together again on a, um, uh, a documentary I pitched to CBBC mm. called I Am Ethan, and Ethan was all about a young, a young uh, who would have been 10 at the time, a young, a young deaf lad mm. who loved music, and, mm. and it was about, you know, a bit like in Strictly, it was like about feeling the vibrations of music, and that, that being deaf doesn't need to be in any way a barrier yeah. to enjoy music. And Ethan was a massive Doctor Who fan, and I met him because he he he, he at the time was Toby Haydock's stepson. Right. Oh, okay. So I literally met him, I think, when we were filming Looking for Peter <laughs> on the DVDs, and he ran up to me and started signing. Oh. Uh, and I was like, oh, sorry, I don't I don't know uh, British Sign Language, uh, but he just didn't care. He was just this bubbly, full of life kid, and he loved Doctor Who. He had he'd inherited a lot of that from Toby, I think, and. Uh, and so when we did the documentary, Richard executive produced that, and we had Doctor Who all over it. And mm. it wasn't self-indulgent, because no. he was a genuine Doctor mm. Who fan. And, and that led to me, I, I wanted it to be a paper, almost like a Paper Mario animation thing, where you would have a Paper Matt Smith and a Paper TARDIS, mm. yeah. Paper Daleks, and they would be interacting with Ethan, and he would be talking to them and hanging out with them. And uh, we went to Cardiff, and Edward Russell, who's a good friend, was really helpful and got me in front of Carol Skinner mm. to, to talk about it. And they said, you can't have Matt, because this was like anniversary year. This yeah, was right. like 2012, wow. 2013. I said, you can't have Matt, but we're happy for you to do this. So you can use the TARDIS. Mm. Uh, the nation, I'd, I'd spoken to the Terry Nation estate, and they'd said yes to the Daleks. Super. And I'd got Bob Baker to say yes for K9. So that's what we said was that if we can't have Matt, we were going to have Matt narrating it. Yeah. Okay. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So we said, can, well, how about we do K9 narrating it? Mm. And because at least he's been in the new, he's got some, yeah. some mm. cachet with kids. Uh, and John Leeson said yes, and Bob Baker said yes. And, uh, and so that, that was, that was oh, it, it, it's uh, a really nice anniversary year mix up of mm. my documentary work, mm. which is often with kids and Doctor Who. Uh, and, but then after that, I started working with Richard Marson again on a show that he's been the father of, really, called Our School for CBBC, which is like a fly on the wall, moving up to year seven, you know, kind of half a year in the life mm -hmm. of, of high school kids. Uh, and weirdly, you've worked on that. Mm -hmm. and, indeed. And uh, most of the Doctor Who people I know have worked on it at some point. Like Ed Stradling was a director in the first series. Uh, I've done it for like eight years. And a lot of the crews that I work with on that, I'll pinch and take over to Doctor Who stuff. And, mm. you know, so there's been a weird Doctor Who, CBBC crossover going on behind the scenes. Even to the extent that on Big Finish, I've named, like, <laughs> so, so many characters in Big Finish I've named after kids from our school or teachers from our school. Yeah, amazing. You know, when you try to think of a name, you're like, yeah. oh, I can make, you know, literally. So I, I, there's a kid who became like a, 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 a grandfather in a robot suit who went to war and things like that, you know, it would always be completely bizarre, like crossovers. Yeah. But yeah. So there's, yeah, a nice connection. And so, I guess before we move on to the Doctor Who stuff, what else have you kind of worked on recently, people might have seen? So I, what do I do? I've worked on lots of different things. I kind of made a breakthrough into telly doing stuff for CBBC, so I did a documentary. I've, I've got a stammer, and I grew up with a very bad stammer, uh, and I pitched a documentary to the Beeb called Stammer School, which is all about Michael Palin's speech therapy centre, which is aimed at kids, uh, which is nominated for a children's BAFTA and, and opened a few doors. So I did quite a lot of stuff for CBBC. 
Uh, I've worked then with, I did a big documentary for BBC One last year mm -hmm. with Stephen Fry that was all about the history of mythical creatures. Mm. Uh, and I've worked with people like Paul O'Grady and I've done a lot of work on Country Farm for the BBC, which I really enjoy, uh, with Adam Henson on his farm. Mm -hmm. and, and, and just stuff. Bits and bobs. Lots yeah. of stuff. Uh, but I tend to, I like to vary it and work for lots of different people. and have the Doctor Who documentaries always going on the side mm. and the big Finnish stuff always going on the side. So my wife would say I have like three or four jobs <laughs> at any one time. So there's a lot of plate spinning, uh, but it keeps me on my toes. Love it. Amazing. Yeah. So talking of big Finnish, how yeah. did that yeah. come about? Uh, complete nepotism. Well, not so much nepotism, but just <laughs> corruption, really. Uh, that, that was a situation where I'd met, I, I think I... We were doing the Death to the Daleks making of, mm. which is quite a nice making yeah. of. We interviewed Arnold Yarrow for that yes. in his house. Indeed. And uh, I said, let's have the Daleks narrate this. Uh, so let's get Nick Briggs and do it all in character. Mm. And so I, I think that was the first time I met Nick, because I knew he was a big Death to the mm. Daleks. Everybody knows he's a big yeah. Death. Yeah. Well, shut up about it. It's his thing. I love him, I love him. And, and, and so we interviewed Nick as a fan, just to get that perspective. And he also did the voiceover. And I think I said at the time, I think we went for a drink and I said, uh, would you be open to me pitching? And I think I might have sent him the Conquer film mm. as well mm. and said, look, here's something I'd, I'd co-written in that mm. case. Um, I'd love to pitch. And he just said, look, the door's open whenever you, mm. whenever you do. And actually, weirdly, it took me about four years oh, right. of just being busy or not quite having the courage mm. to actually do it. And it was when I left London to move to Bristol, I suddenly thought, I've got a month off work. I should come up with some ideas now. Mm. And, I, and I pitched them a story that I had a dream about, weirdly, uh, which is all about a, a planet where if you are forgotten, you cease to exist. Mm. Right. And Because so, I was upset because I'd lost my dad mm. and I was obsessed with, oh God, I can't remember his voice or I can't yeah. remember what he looks like. Oh no, he's not going to exist anymore. And I th so I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll use Doctor Who as therapy yeah. mm. to get through this. And, uh, and it was going to be that they were going to have like a hall of memories uh, where in order to keep people alive, it's one person or one team's job mm. to be hacked in and remember everybody. And it's their job to keep their planet alive by constantly having these images flashed in front of them. Mm. And I think I pitched it with uh, the fifth doctor, Tegan and Nyssa and as a four-parter. And um, Big Finish came back to me and said this is great, uh, this is perfect actually, because they, they were looking to do an anthology all about memory. So that, and that's where the memory bank comes, that's the and, memory bank. And that's story. the memory yeah. bank, yeah. yeah. And, and so that, that literally was just incredibly good luck that they just happened to be setting up. Uh, that was Alan Barnes who, who, who yeah. was, was doing that. And he said, can you do this as a one-parter? And I would have always loved to have done it as a, as a bigger story. Mm. Yeah. And you, when you listen to it, you can feel it's really compressed. Like I'm trying to do four parts right. in one part. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a lot of, even more running than normal in, in Doctor <laughs> um, But But I, I just thought, I need to say yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, I, I, if I say no to this, then this ends here. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that was it. And, and, and so I did a couple with Alan uh, where we did, we did the middle after that. Yeah. It's all about uh, old people, but, you know, that sense that uh, a, a planet where if you're old, that would suggest that uh, you, you, you don't have a function anymore. Right. So let's send them to war instead and the, the young people can have a nice time. <laughs> the the, the middle, people in the middle, myself included, do all the boring jobs and the elderly are sent to war because they're expendable, mm. essentially. But they have to be in big mech suits 
uh, to make amazing. it work. And, and things like Iron Brighton uh, with, with Alan. And it's just kept going. So I've, I've done about 12 or 13 of them now, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got them all here. I mean, Warzone as well, which I think, I mean, anything with the 80s Cybermen in it mm. is just amazing. Mm. We had a few questions, actually, oh. um, about sort of separating the fan from the person who's there to do a job, whether that be writing yeah. or directing and so on. Mm. But getting to write, excellent. Mm. And knowing David Banks is going to say <laughs> it, that must be on another level of excitement, though. Well, I don't know if I did get to do did that. Did you not get to put an excellent so. in there? No, I don't think so, because, because I don't want to ruin the story. But uh, the, the nice thing... Oh, well, a, I guess people know anyway. It's a two-parter, isn't it? It's a two-story yeah. thing. So it's a war zone is two parts. Yeah. And then the story after, afterwards... Conversion. Conversion is two parts. And conversion is far more David Banksy. Mm. And Warzone, the nice thing about it, spoilers! The nice thing about Warzone <laughs> is that you, you, you're supposed to not know it's a Cyberman story yeah. sure. until like two thirds of the way through. Yeah. And then it's like sneaky Cybermen mm. or yeah. like, you know, it's kind of under your skin mm. kind of. And, and that was quite fun to play with. And, and Warzone's all about, you know, it's, it's, it's me. What I do with Big Finish is basically take things from my own life and find a sci-fi So I gather you did a fun run and so, it yeah. hurt. Yeah, <laughs> well, because I was running marathons and stuff. And I was yeah. thinking there's something, and I wanted to call it PB. I wanted to call it personal best. And right. then and then I think Scott Hancock said, don't call it that. Because yeah. every review will be like, this is not a personal best. This is a personal, you know. You, the script open is a war goal. zone. Yeah. Open goal. And, uh, but it, but it, I thought there was a nice similarity between the idea of the fit, of fitness culture mm. and self-improvement yes. and what the Cybermen represent. Mm. And, and in a funny Doctor Who weird way, you could play with that yeah. and, and do something different with that. And the, the nice thing there is that Scott Hancock really wanted to lean into the emotional side of the Fifth Doctor mm. and the unresolved stuff about Adric and so on. So there's a lot of that in that one and that was really fun. Uh, and Peter, I think Peter's astounding in that mm. one actually, like really tough. Mm. And that's partly Scott, I think, getting the right performance. Um, but but it's, it is hard, the, the whole fan separation thing, I think you very quickly, like, I don't watch, it sounds awful, I don't watch a lot of Doctor Who for fun now. No. It's really bad. And, 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 and I'll watch the new series, yeah. you know, when it's on, but I won't suddenly go, oh, I quite fancy watching Pyramids and Mars today. Mm. I still love it just as much, but partly because I've got family and a crazy dog and a three-year-old. Uh, and I don't have a lot of time, but partly because I think, well, I'm going to have to watch lots of it for work anyway. Mm. And I love my job. Like, I genuinely love my job. S but, but I don't tend to watch it so much for fun. Mm. Hmm. So I almost look forward to the point when I'm 80. And then I'll watch them all the way through from the beginning or something. Because you I were talking we, about we this the other day. I think we find this as well, mm. because now that we watch stuff to review the episodes, you know, spoilers, but I had to watch The Time Monster because it was... Uh, your story, uh, oh boy! Um, I let but, him deal uh, with that side of it all. Yeah, you know, but we. I'm it's sorry the same, about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll give you the bill for my therapy. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it's that same thing, isn't it? Of just that, you know, I don't really feel the need to watch it. I've seen it all so many times. Mm. It's up it's, here, isn't it's, it? Yeah, we can rerun it. it. You know, all that yeah. stuff. I feel like we're living it through Twitter as well, which is the extra element. True. Because yeah. so much of that community, which is lovely, mm. but, you know, my Twitter feed is, in, is entirely <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah. So I'm getting a good fix. You know, it's kind of, it's going straight into the vein uh, constantly. Yeah. As it should do. <laughs> um, I wanted to list out a couple of docs, just ones that sort mm. of came to mind of yours. Um, and if you give us a little bit on them, could sure. be a sentence, yeah. could be whatever, yeah. best and worst, whatever it is. <laughs> um, time zones. So that was your first one. Yeah, the war shit. games. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, well time zones, it's only like 10 minutes long. And, mm. you know, and uh, people always get it confused with war zones, mm -hmm. which is, understandably, we, which mm. is the behind-the-scenes documentary that I think Steve Broster did for War Games, possibly Richard Molesworth, I think Steve Broster. And but time zones is is like real life history. Yeah. Like this is who the Romans were. This is what the American Civil War was. This was the First World War. Mm -hmm. And it's very sincere. And it begins amusingly with me trying to create a fanfare for starting our Doctor Who journey. And it has this incredibly elaborate CG shot of uh, the camera whizzes down to find the TARDIS on no man's land, yeah. surrounded by barbed wire. Which is probably I haven't seen it for a while. It's probably dated quite badly. Um, <laughs> But it was genuinely me going, I'm so excited to be doing Doctor Who. I get to do And then go, the American Civil War was... So weirdly, we were making a documentary that wasn't about... Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this was a phase that... Dan, Dan Hall was very keen on this, that there should be lots of take-home mm. from the Doctor, which I agree with, mm. that you want people to learn new stuff. But he thought it should be... The doc should be about... the the wider mm. human uh, historical side of the yeah. story or black pudding for mm. vampires and all this, yes. all this kind mm. of thing. It was a funny phase that the range went through, uh, which I think he, he then veered back from. Mm. Uh, but Time Zones is very much part of that. So I wouldn't, rec I wouldn't recommend it. It's not on our playlist of things to watch when uh, we get home. We were very excited to be making it. I remember doing the interviews and we, we, we shot the interviews on green screen in a studio in Newcastle. And I really didn't understand what I was doing mm. because I had four interviewees and a 10-hour day. Uh, and, and that's all we did mm. because I did the whole interview. And then I was like, okay, now we should do the interview again, but we'll do it on a closer framing. Mm. So we've done it all like this, wow. but now let's do it like that. Wow. And I was and like, run through the and, whole thing and again. do the whole thing again. And this will allow me to, to, to cut between wow. these two. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and at the end of the day, I was like, why the fuck have I done that? <laughs> why, why, why is everyone so miserable? Why is everybody well? really bored and sad <laughs> by the end of the day? And, and it, genuinely, it was just like naivety. And I was like, well, no, isn't, isn't that how you do it? And like, Love the it. cameraman's probably go. do you not want me just to vary like why you're asking the question Chris I'll just like go from one thing <laughs> well we could have got a second camera if you wanted yeah. it you know whatever but it's it, yeah shit and that was like 2007 so I would have I would have been like 25 26 and that's right at the start as well um, yeah. jumping ahead a little bit looking for Peter yeah that was the first looking for yeah, yeah yeah that's right yeah so we've done uh, oh we've done three mm. of them now but the third one's not out yet yeah. mm. uh, but the first one that was the first time I'd worked with Toby Haydock. Mm -hmm. So I love Toby very much. And uh, we've done 10 films, I think, together now. We've shot 10 films. And looking for Peter, I think, I think that came from Toby. I think, you know, the, the, the idea of doing something about Peter R. Newman yeah. for the sense rights. Uh, just as this is a figure we know nothing, like nothing at all about. And I would have come back and said, oh, I like the idea of doing something that's like a who do you think you are? episode that embraces the kind of researchy side of things and and that that after who peter that was our next kind of breakthrough that felt like oh we can do something that is sensitive and emotional and and, and smart uh it's only 20 minutes long mm. but i think it won the doctor who magazine award that that year <coughs> partly i think just because it was a different direction for the mm. range and toby's so good in it you mm. know toby's really sensitive with it and we found something mm. you know we genuinely it it, it happened in very much kind of essentially as you see it in the film, that we, we, we didn't know if we were going to find anything. In fact, the, we did two filming days for that. It's all shot in two days. And uh, after the first day, I think, I think we'd, we then, we'd found the family, but 
they weren't sure if they could take part. I think somebody was ill or something. Right. And it looked like they might pull out entirely. Wow. So we were like, oh, that would That's mean there's no documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly when you've done a day already. So mm. you've spent half the cash. Mm. And, uh, and so genuinely we were looking at that saying, you know, we might just have to pull the plug on this. So it was a, with all those films, there's a real sense this is the they could before. go horribly yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very... No, well, the pulling the plug was... It, it, was, it would have been a couple of weeks before the second day. Ah, right. Because I'd put a big gap. So ah. I think because I hadn't figured out what the second part of it would be okay. right, at that point. So it was really seat, seat of your pants. In my head, I'm picturing what happened when we did The Looking For, mm. and it's all kind of one day after the other, and mm. I'm picturing you in a Premier Inn restaurant <laughs> going, oh my God, they're going to pull out tomorrow, it's going to be the and end of it. That does happen as well. Yeah, yeah. it does happen as well. Uh, yeah, so, so, so Billy and I have worked on uh, a recent Looking For that we've done, because we did, we did Looking For Lenny, yep. about Lenny Main, which was lovely, and that was a real sensitive one. That mm. was one where, where L- Lenny's death has been talked about publicly, mm. but it's incredibly tragic, mm. and I think yeah. his family are still understandably still grieving for him yeah. and so that was a very tricky one because I thought without the family you can't really do this mm. and if the family had said we don't want this to happen we would have probably had to just say okay yeah we, we won't do it then we need we need, at least need your blessing and mm. we really need your involvement um, and Sadie his daughter uh, they were all very nervous but they were lovely and and I went and met with them a load of times to, to bring them on board and to reassure them that we weren't twats yeah and uh, and they believed us, and we're not twats. No, so we, not. you know, we wanted to make a nice job. Um, and one of the most scary moments of this whole thing was was uh, I'm very keen on showing the film to the main contributors at mm. least. And and so I went to Sadie's house and and said, "Do you want to watch this? You probably don't want to watch it with me. Mm. So I'm going to go and sit. Shall I go and sit in the garden? <laughs> and I sat in the garden for the 40 minutes it was on. Yeah, going. <laughs> you know, literally thinking if she comes out and says I hate it, of course. That's then w- w- what do I do? Because yeah. I have to listen to that. Yeah. I can't just say, well, you signed a contract. Mm. I have to listen to that and do something about that mm. because it's just not right otherwise. And, uh, and luckily she loved it, but, it, but that was terrifying. And, and the new one that we've done is for a, is, is literally I just, I think, gave my last four tweaks on the sound mix mm-hmm. before I came here. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. I really, and I think it might be my favorite of the three. And it's a bit beefier. Yeah. It's about an hour long, and that's with Toby and also with Simon Guerrier has been consultant on a, on this one. And I think I think that will be something really special. So get guessing, folks. Who yeah. might it be? No, but don't guess correctly, or I get in trouble. <laughs> so uh, you said you were talking then about like, or you 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 have that preemptive worry of like, is something going to go tits up? Yeah. What what has been the biggest disaster? If you're allowed to say, what's yeah. been the biggest uh, disaster on a shoot? Uh, mo- mostly. We've managed to avert disaster. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally wood, mate. Don't worry, you're fine. I, can tell you, I had a really stressful filming day recently uh, where it worked. It was really yeah. stressful. <laughs> and, and it was a situation, this is on one they haven't announced yet, but it's, we're doing the, the location film that we've done for season 22 where it's Colin and Nicola having basically a jaunt mm-hmm. around all the big locations that you can still visit from that season. Yeah. We're doing one for, for a future set, yeah. uh, which is in the edit at the moment of the same series. And on that, we were filming, I'm trying to remove words so you can guess. <laughs> uh, but we were filming at a location. First of all, I wanted to film at location A, and location A were basically dicks and, <laughs> and ignored us entirely, right. but kept ignoring us. And I actually went to there and, 
ended up posting something in hand to try and get a response and got no response. And then a week, really a week and a half before the shoot, I had to say, it's not going to happen, is it? They're just mm. going to continue ignoring us, and that's crazy. Mm. Even though we threw a lot of money in their faces to yeah. say, please, pay attention to us. Mm. And they didn't care. That was and like a maintenance fee, was it? For the... Like you, you, the, the offer for the fee yeah. was like a maintenance fee, it, it, just it, like... a location fee. Oh, a location fee. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Because you know we were talking about a filming day at a private place, yeah. right? Uh, which and and uh, and normally there would be some kind of fee involved for mm. that kind of thing. And in this case, they just ignored us. And a week and a half before, I thought I need I need a plan B. Uh, and just from out of my, my backside, really, I pulled just just an idea, which actually turned out to be a good idea. But at the time, I was like. Fuck, we need to do, you know, and, <laughs> and so came up with a plan B, but but then had almost no time to pull the plan B together. And the trickiest shoots we do are the ones with lots of locations. Mm. Like when you watch something like the writer's room or the doctor's table, they're bliss mm. because it's one location. As long as you stay on the good side of that location, it's a lovely, sweet shoot. Yeah. The more locations there are, the more moving parts in any of these films, the more of a fucking nightmare <laughs> they are to make. Because everything, because when they get that complicated, the, the weather, you can't have weather-dependent days. Mm. Yeah. If there's so many moving parts in a shoot, you, you, you can't have a backup. So you have to go all in and say, I'm just going to have to hope it doesn't rain, mm. or if anything falls apart. And in this case, it was trying to bring together a whole day of filming with about, you know, in the end, uh, uh, just under a week and a half to go. And it meant that when we went on the filming day, I'm kind of saying, everything's fine, call sheet, everything's fine. But, but actually, we hadn't, we, we got sign-off from part of the location, but not all of the location. Right. Because the other part, the other person who needed to sign off just wasn't replying again. Right. Uh, but I thought, we have to go. Mm. And then when, when the crew started arriving at this location, the gate was locked <laughs> and, and couldn't enter the location. Oh, and our contact wasn't picking up the phone. <laughs> so, and, and mercifully, one of the other people who was coming in had arrived at this gate, found it locked, and then managed to find another route into the location. Right. right. And, and we all then took that route. Mm. But I would never have guessed that there was another route in mm. or known. So it was the, it was the uh, kind of inventiveness of this person that allowed us to get in. And then everything, everything was fine. We, permissions were all in place. But it was really a, a, a moment where a locked gate would have meant that a third of the film collapsed. Just covered yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, completely. And you just have to kind of go along. There was a funny one, an avoiding of a disaster on the new season 22 one we did with Colin and Nicola mm. where it was just me being stupid basically that I'd, I'd set up the shoot quite quickly and it was we were going back to the locations from Attack of the Cybermen mm. yeah. and the, I loved that the it's very urban isn't it it's very mm, recognisable yeah. contemporary London Matthew Robinson's doing all his EastEnders stuff yeah. and uh, I wanted to shoot at that that lovely long alleyway mm. yes, that the yeah. Doctor and Perry run down and the policemen come, come into frame and um and, and, and I went on the recce, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's that one there. And I got permission from the council to film in the back alley, and I, I letter dropped. I hand wrote mm. partial you know, parts of letters and dropped them to every house yeah. that backed onto the alley. I found a lady who would lend us the key, and she opened it up specially. Oh, wow. And I turned up the night before the shoot thinking, I'll just have a second recce, because I feel like I don't know this location as well as the other ones. Uh, and I looked at it and thought, that's the wrong fucking alley. Oh, no. That's the wrong alley. That's not the right alley. And and it, it was it was shorter. Yeah. Mm. They all looked alike in that area, but yeah. it was shorter than the one on telly. Uh, and I realised that the actual alley was over the road round to the left, <laughs> uh, oh, which at that point backed onto a garage. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and they'd filled, the garage had filled the alleyway with their cars. There were like six cars oh. down the alleyway with a locked gate in it. And I kind of sprinted over and the chap was locking up. Mm. I was literally locking up and going home for the weekend. How do you start to explain yeah. what you're going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, what's your opening gambit there? I think, I think it was money. I think, <laughs> I think I literally said, I will give you a hundred pounds. Yeah. If, if, if we can come and film in your alleyway, it sounds wrong. If we can film in your alleyway tomorrow morning, but could you, but could you move all your cars, please? Mm. And he was like, I, I can't say yes. You'll have to speak to my boss. Sure. Okay. What's your boss's number? And I sat there with him and phoned the boss. And luckily, I think he thought it was all quite funny mm. and right. li liked the idea of it. Now, most pe these people never know there's any connection between yeah. where they work or where they live and Doctor Who. Of course. Because uh, they're not nerds like mm. us. Uh, <laughs> they and don't worship these locations. And mercifully, they said yes. And, and so Colin and Nicola arrive and, and they know nothing of this. But I have this alternate reality where I don't realise it's the wrong alleyway. Mm. And we'd still shoot the whole sequence. And Colin and Nicola would have just gone along with it yeah. of course. in a yeah. g game professional way. Uh, and then somebody would have watched it, like 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 Toby would have watched it, or somebody, yeah. or Richard Bignall, and gone. Out come the pitchforks. Chris, Chris, you do know. Well, it, I would have been told about it, and yeah. then we would have had to lose it. Yeah. Because we would have been lying. <sighs> and and but we, <laughs> you know. So it's usually crisis aversion, mm. know, yeah. and and trying to get around these things. But nothing has ever gone touch wood, as yet, completely tits up. Mm. There are things that don't get off the drawing board. Yeah. You know, things where you pitch it course. and then you go to the person you need in order to make it. Like we've done, we did that. I really like the, the weekend with films that we mm. do with Tony. Yeah, yeah. And we pitch some of those and people just go, it's not for me, love. And, yeah. Yeah. and that's fair enough because it's, it's, it's bringing the cameras into your home. Mm. So yeah. it feels very different to coming to a nice studio. Whatever. Definitely. So there's stuff like that, but, uh, but no complete disasters. Mm. Okay. Um, a couple of other highlights, I guess. Doctor Who cookbook. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, so another Blu-ray now. Blu-ray. We're yeah. in the Blu-ray realm at the moment, yeah. 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 So I think the nice thing is I'd, we, we finished the DVDs in like, what's that, like, 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 like 2013 or so. Was it was around that time, wasn't it? Zygons yeah. was the last one, wasn't it? That was 2013. That was, was 2013. It was towards the end. Yeah. yeah. I think technically the last one's Underwater Menace, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they took yes. ages to yeah. bring yeah. that. That was like 2015, I think. Yeah. And, and I thought by the end, we, we'd got into, what you can see when you watch those films is we'd kind of worked out a, a, a good way of making the budgets work. Because the budgets are tight. Budgets have always been about 10% of what they would be for broadcast. Yeah. Right. The Stephen Fry thing I did, had a budget where our budgets are 1% mm -hmm. of what the budget was on the Stephen Fry thing. Wow. So our budgets are teeny tiny. Yeah. Uh, and, but we want to make them feel like broadcast. And by the end of the DVD range, I figured out this good swizzle where if I, took, if I said, commission me for three films in one go, mm. pool all the money, have two films be shot in one day. Mm. <laughs> so we would hire a studio in London and I would shoot like 12 interviews back, back to back. Mm in one day right. and 12 kind of 40 minute chats and mm. I would be dead by the end of it. Mm. Yeah. But we could get it all done. We'd use rear projection yeah. uh, instead of green screen. So a lot, of, a lot of those ones have like, I guess it's like The Mandalorian or something. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like a, 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 a really low budget version of <laughs> The Devil Rides <laughs> Out. I, I watched it before I came here. That's yeah. one of those. So The Devil Rides Out is like that. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, sometimes we'd use a green screen if we had to. Uh, and sometimes the rear projection would work better than others like the rear projection on the, the great show in the galaxy mm. is really poor mm. because we had to shoot in a different studio and the studio wasn't big enough right. and you need space to do rear projection. Uh, but when it worked, so things like The Devil Rides Out, 
That's a really good example because I think the Christopher Bowie interview yeah. is one of my favourites yeah. uh, for that. And dirt cheap because mm. you know you're just doing it. Everything's live. Yeah. Uh, and and so we we would shoot two of those studio documentaries in a day, uh, and that would mean for the third film in that budget, I could do something a bit madder. Mm. So we could then go and shoot for two days for that. So and on location with a bigger crew. So that would mean I could one of those trios had. Uh, lo looking for Peter, one of them had Living with Levine, one of them had Hayduck versus Havoc, and we could suddenly do these big, brash, entertaining, kind of mad films. And and the frustrating thing is, by the end of the DVD range, we kind of figured that out, mm. and we were, and I think something like Levine and uh, and the Havoc docs are really mm. kind of uh, are, are quite quite fun and bold, and uh, but then it ended, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, that's it for Doctor Who. Um, and then Russell Minton took over, like, like pitched the whole... I mean, Russell's basically the creator of the whole collection, collection thing. Idea. Yeah. He, and he was the guy who was pit, pitching it and saying, we should do this. And Russ, and I was a bit reticent at first, because I kind of thought, have I done that? Yeah. I was doing a lot of broadcast telly at the time, and I thought... Uh, but then Russell convinced me, and I just thought, actually, to have that freedom of, of not having to work as part of a big telly structure, mm. but being able to just make docs which are quite eccentric and, mm. and odd... Uh, and standalone, yeah. and also then creating series and stuff. And so Cookbook was probably a, a kind of a, a peak of that in the sense that, uh, I don't know how we pitched it actually, but, but it, was, it was very much saying, season 23, uh, oh, that coincides with uh, the Cookbook coming out and thinking, let's do a big kind of mashup of MasterChef. Mm. And mm. Most of our films are pastiches of something. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of Bake Off, there's a lot of MasterChef. To the extent that we were approaching India Fisher and saying, literally, could you could you do your MasterChef voice? Yeah. And she's got the nice connection to Colin and Big Finish, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, but we had to get special permission from the MasterChef studio. I was going to say, is that like you know, is her voice copyrighted for? MasterChef? Almost is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, almost is. You know, she 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 finds it bizarre and funny. I think. Yeah. Because she's like, it's my voice. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but if she's doing that tone and that yeah. approach, you know, we had so there must be a Doctor Who nerd. In the MasterChef office, must be, or it yeah. just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, uh, and uh, and that was really fun, mm. and that was you know, we always say, should we do a volume two or not? And I don't know if that would kill the joke mm. or not because there's enough in the book mm. to, yeah. to yeah. do more. Uh, but it was really nice, and I, I love Toby. I love Toby when he's being like investigative and serious, but I I love his lighter side as well, and and he he's so good at drawing the best out of the contribs in that and. Uh, it was really lovely. It was a really nice one. You mentioned series, and before you sort of said how the looking fours were very much like a who do you think you are sort yeah. of thing, and obviously yeah. you mentioned Bake Off and so on there. There does seem to be a sense of <laughs> you've got these formats sort of ready to go, you know, and it's like, it's like <laughs> Doctor's Table, mm. Writer's Room, they're kind of, to use a slightly wanky term, they're kind of evergreen formats. Sure. You, know, you can kind of swap anyone yeah. in to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And so is that... Also, part of that of the kind of commissions now is it a case of well, we'll always we, Chris, we know we'll have these on this set. Or, yeah, it's. Uh, or you're pitching I'm, I'm, a lot more. I'm, I'm trying to think. It's 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 a mix really, and 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 certainly when we when we start a series like that, it's not necessarily there's not necessarily a guarantee that you will make more of them. Yeah, mm. it's not like the three writers' rooms that we've done were all commissioned at the same time. They mm. weren't. Yeah, I think it was Russell would have asked about season eighteen. And I would have pitched a page of ideas of different things. And I would have looked at that and thought, 
Ooh, what, what's unique about this season? One of the things that's unique is that the writers are, are all of a younger generation than a lot of the 70s writers, and that means they're alive and, mm. and we can do something with them. And, and I was always a bit remiss on the DVDs that I often wouldn't interview writers uh, because it's, I used to find it very difficult to fit a writer into the chronology of a story, which is mad because the writer is the originator of the story. Mm. But the, 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 the problem is... I like to tell stories really chronologically and say this happened, then this happened, then this happened, with no foreknowledge of what's coming, that they don't know the ending when they're living through it. And, and so the writer stuff, the only way you could really illustrate that is with clips from the show to say, and this is what they're talking about. Yeah. And you need cutaways to make a documentary. Of course. Um, and I would just think that was kind of preempting because mm-hmm. the filming hasn't happened yet. So mm-hmm. how can I show clips of it? Which yeah. sounds really autistic, but it, but it, but it was... Uh, but it was a real problem. And so the writer's room was my way of redressing that. Mm. And think actually, let's let the writers hold court. And particularly season 18 has that slight feeling of a writer. No, it wasn't a writer's room, but I think that Chris uh, Bidmead really connected to his writers. Mm. And, and they were all interesting people. Um, and I, and I, and I love that we could explore that, particularly in the season 26 one. Andrew Cartmel, obviously, mm. it feels even more like a writer's room. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do one for season 25. Um, and and I'd love to do one for like the, the new stuff. I'd love to do a season, sorry, a series one one. Mm. I always I said to Rob Sherman a couple of times we should go back to the Chula, to to the Indian restaurant they all went to sure. in two thousand four, <laughs> and and have them do that. You know, yeah. and I just I just I enjoy that format where we would set up a shitload of cameras, yeah, and we just let them go, and I occasionally go. Guys, can we come back over a bit? You know, if, if they've gone off into if 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 if, if uh, Steve Gallagher's talking about bugs or something, like, sure. I love bugs, but let's come back. Let's come back <laughs> over. You know, and 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 with the other ones, you know, writers' room wasn't cribbed off anybody in particular. Doctor's Table is very consciously a rip-off of a show called uh, I'll Get This on BBC Two, right? Which uh, is a really good show, uh, where basically random celebs all sit around a table. And and uh, have fun. Have an hour. Yeah, and and so the doctor's table is very much. We, we have five cameras running, five posh cameras all going at the same time, and I just write the questions, get everybody in the same room, and then I shut up, and Lovely. I just get to stand back and mm. and will occasionally just say I don't know if we made that clear or, but mostly I'll shut up and just think well I'll make those cuts in the edit, yeah. I'll let them play, and they'll. Eat, eat and drink for about two hours and we'll make it 40, you know, you, people say, oh, I want to see the two hours. You don't want to see the two hours. No. You want to <laughs> tighten it to 40 minutes yeah. and make it kind of uber chat. Yeah. And then you've got, you've got this nugget of, of fun stuff that you can use. But I, I like having those. I like also having just, just kind of one-offs as well mm. and mixing it up. Uh, and the nice thing is I think Russell Minton is, is very good at saying, I'd like a bit more of this, or mm. I'd like a bit more of that, and, and getting the balance on each set. So there's not too much. Like the Looking For series is a very, you know, a hard, nerdy Doctor Who, you mm, know, yeah. kind of a deep divey kind of thing. And so you want something like Cookbook, or, or, or Russell's work on Behind the Sofa. Yeah. You want the lighter, fun stuff. Mm. And, and much more than the DVDs, the Blu-rays are about interaction, are about seeing how these people are with each other, mm. not just... Talking heads talking in heads. studios, you know, but but actually, and that's more fun for us. Mm. Yeah, it means you can have a more roaming camera that can do more interesting things. Definitely. So, so if you had endless budget, yeah. what yes. would be your dream 
projects? The one that would be really expensive, yeah. comparatively, yeah. not expensive in tele terms, but expensive in our terms. Yeah. Is, that I was thinking about the other day is I really want to do a. There's lots of biogs I'd love to do. Of, you know, actually a budget one would be. I'd love to do a proper life of Patrick Troughton, mm. like a proper ninety minutes. Yeah. I'd love to get his boys on board. I'd love to basically adapt Michael Troughton's book. Yeah. Because right. it's beautiful. Yeah. And so on. It's like blisteringly honest about his dad, I, but but from love. Yeah. You know, and uh, the, the the tricky thing with Pat is that I'd want to show like bits from The Omen and things like that, mm. and that's mm. really expensive. Mm. That, that that could be like a, a quarter of our budget. It yeah. could immediately be spent on a thirty second clip from yeah. The Omen. So it's almost impossible. Yeah. So with an infinite budget, I do a proper like Pat's whole life and career with all the clips and yeah. all, all the cool stuff and Jason and the Argonauts and, yeah. and yeah. Scars of Dracula and yeah. all that stuff. And uh, but if if we were talking about something ambitious in staging I've always wanted to do a proper making of for the TV movie mm. and to do it on location yeah. Yeah. in Vancouver go back to the park and because it's a real house isn't it kind of yes, yes yeah. Grace's house and is they're real. all yeah. actually quite close to each other have you, a, been? I, have you done no I, I had a look at a location mm. map the other day mm. and like the the center where the New Year's celebration thing is happening yeah. is right across the road from yes. the, the, the square this is what I like yes. and then the <laughs> alleyway <laughs> The alleyway is right around the corner. Yeah, from so there I'd, as wanna, well. I'd wanna put the TARDIS back in that alleyway yeah. Yeah. and have Sylvester come out of it. Oh yeah. And then Paul comes out after him. You know, mm. and then they go for like you know, so so to be able to have the budget to take Paul there, wow. Sylvester, Daphne I love and Yuji mm. so and and, uh, and Eric. Of yeah. course. And 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 get Jeffrey Sachs involved and, and mm. Seagal and I, I I would love to do one and I and I part of me is conscious that uh, you know, ultimately we'd we'd love to make that film but it'll probably have to take quite a few compromises in terms yeah. of quite how many people I can mm. put in Vancouver. Mm. But I'd love to do, I'd love to really do something juicy with that. And, yeah. I, and I think the, the TV movie deserves that. So that would be really fun. And then there are other figures that I just think are unsung. Mm. You know, I, people like Michael Craze, people like Ian Martyr and uh, Graham Williams and, mm. and Mary Tam and mm. people like this. And... Uh, Adrian Hill, we were talking about the other day. Mm. You know, kind of, you know, these people, you know, and 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 I think, um, I've gone mad. I think that um, there's a few of them that fit into that bracket. Yeah, where you think that would be fun. I'd love to do a weekend with Annika. That would be yeah. good. Yeah, that would be a weekend fun. with Annika would be good. A weekend with Wendy yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. I think she lives on a farm or something. That would be fun. Oh, that'd be good in yeah. France. All right. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be good. So, so you know, but every, every set's got its own. I've made a big list. <laughs> of the things that we'd love to do on each yeah. set, and and but then I have to pitch them to Russell. Of course. And he might. There was one. There was one I pitched. Like, should I tell you about this? I don't know. There was one I pitched on season twenty-two, mm -hmm. and I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Actually, because I think the location doc that we've ended up doing, yeah. I'm really happy with, and I think it's a really lovely film. Uh, but I pitched something different, that I think he thought might be a bit. I think he thought this is a can of worms. Mm. Right. Uh, and I think he's probably right. Mm. I think it was probably a bit too juicy. Uh, but I was saying as a follow-up to the Revisited series, where we've done, like, uh, Cookbook, Revisited, we've done Who's, Who's Doctor, Doctor Who, Who, and so on. And I think the Havoc film I kind of put into that bracket mm. as well. Um, I was saying, let's do one about uh, Doctor in Distress. Right. <laughs> and I wanted to get everybody back in the studio. It's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I wanted to get Hans Zimmer and have oh, Toby oh, talking to Hans yeah, Zimmer yeah, about yeah, doing yeah. it. And I wanted just to speak to, the, to those kind of 80s stars, all the random people, and say, what did you think was happening? <laughs> yeah. And I think, I, think, I think partly maybe it's a copyright thing, but also partly it was just to kind of, you know, I, w I would have made it 
with love, of mm, course, and yeah. said, you know, this is. I'm so glad this exists. I'm mm. really glad that Doctor in Distress exists. Mm. But I think maybe there was a fear that that could this go cross over. There's a lot in, hanging into, off of it into yeah. taking the mick in yes. a different way. Yeah, you know, and 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 being cruel about something. And mm. I wouldn't want to be. I would never want to be cruel about something. Of course. So I'm very glad that things ended up the way that uh, they did. <laughs> I would. I would love to have made both, but you can't mm. always make everything. You can't. No. You can't. You can't always do it. But that would have been fun. But there, I, I do like the idea there's an alternative reality out there where Hans Zimmer is on this thing saying, like, I was just playing the keyboard, so I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I really want Hans Zimmer to be, didn't he, didn't he Instagram a photo of him in the dressing gown collecting his, like having his Oscar? Yes, yeah, 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 And I was thinking maybe he could do our interview in his dress. Maybe that's just how, <laughs> how Hans hangs out at home. And maybe. Toby could take a jacuzzi bath and they could be like, so, don't you? <laughs> be a hell of an interview. Yeah. 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 No, but, but, and, and, and I actually, I think someone like Hans Zimmer, if you came at them the right way, yeah, and you said we, you know, we're mm. not being cruel, we're just interested, mm. then you never know. No, you never know with these things. And it's that weird sort of thing where he's, he's probably like, he's probably almost forgotten that it's mm. happened. And yeah. to have someone then approach He'd him like about to it, forget. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he doesn't care because yeah. he's a very successful, very rich, course, and yeah. and much loved man. But it's, uh, it, it just fascinates me. I love the idea that we're all capable of. Of something of, of 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 a day that we would think n nobody would ever think that we were that yeah. we made Doctor Industrial. Sure, but you did, Hans. You did, you know. You can't escape it. Can't escape. Mm -hmm. And going for gold, you did as well, didn't you? The theme tune for going did for gold. Did he really? Yeah, wow. that sounds in there. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to ask some of your questions now, and Chris is going to answer them. Uh, these come from Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. You can find the link to our Patreon down below. First one comes from Josh Nez, and they have asked. If the BBC called you to do another missing episode animation, which story would you choose? Because we kind of lightly yeah. touched on mm. it, but obviously involvement in the Ice Warriors mm. animation. Yeah. What, what did that, that involve? Yeah. 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 So, <clears throat> uh, I, what was I? I was a co-producer mm -hmm. on the Ice Warriors, and that was me working with Neil Bushnell. So I was making documentaries for Dan Hall mm. for the DVD range, and, and I... And Dan said, oh, don't you work with an animation company? And we had an animation company in the same building as us, mm. part of the same wider company called Curious. And I got on really well with their guys. Chris Chatterton and Neil Bushnell are the main, were the main chaps down there. And I think initially Dan had, had asked a couple of different companies, quite a few different companies, to pitch in mm. uh, animation. And he, I think he'd given us, this is on YouTube now, but he'd given us uh, a 20-second clip from... Uh, Evil of the Daleks and 20 Seconds from the Tenth Planet mm. and asked different companies to do them. So there's probably loads of these out there that people haven't seen of these two clips being animated. Cool. And they're on YouTube for Curious. Um, and we pitched that. And we actually made a really nice kind of glossy brochure, mm. uh, which I've got at home, of kind of this is what... The, this is what our range would be like mm. if we did the wow. missing episodes and and we were trying to pitch like oh you could do like a regeneration box set where it's like the 10th planet and power of the Daleks in, in one you know and, wow. and, and uh and I don't think I don't think anybody got any work out of that. <laughs> I don't think anything. I don't think I don't think the Beeb gave it to anybody. No. Uh, and I don't think that was because everybody was crap or whatever. I just don't think it quite happened at that point. Mm. And then uh, something must have changed because Planet Fifty Five did Reign of Terror, mm. uh, and then Dan came to us and said, "Are you still interested in animating Missing Who?" Obviously, we said yes. What a ridiculous um, question. Uh, and, and it would be the Ice Warriors. And we were commissioned to do the Ice Warriors followed by the Moonbase. Mm. 
uh, and the, the idea was we would then do Underwater Menace. Right. We, the, the, the logic was you could only afford two episodes at that point. Mm. So yeah. you go for those stories. And we did it, I suppose, and it was actually really, it was really lovely because I, I got to be, I was like the motivator mm. and the, the Who fan, mm-hmm. and I was the one saying, this is how we should do it. And I story, did all the initial storyboards. Uh, I'm not an illustrator, I'm not an animator. So I would then, so then Chris Chatterton mm-hmm. was the animation director and, and, and Neil was there as co-producer to shepherd through the whole thing from the animation point of view. But I was the one saying, you know, I think that we're very limited on budget, but I think this needs to feel like Doctor Who. Mm. We, need to, we need to look at the camera scripts mm. and look at what they would have done at the time. This is not a story where we're animating the whole story. We need to fit into the rest of the story yeah. and feel as seamless as we can when you're going from, from real life to animation. Um, and, and, and so that was my main thing, really, was, was, was the, the, the detective work of trying to figure out. We can hear that noise, mm. uh, and you'd think, oh, we'll just go to the camera script. But mm. the camera script often, you'd think, well, that's not yeah. what, what I'm hearing. So yeah. something has changed in rehearsal or in the studio. So that was really fun. Mm. But it just took fucking ages. <laughs> we, just, we, we had a really small team. And, and when you've got a really small team and a low budget, it, it, it had to get out of the way yeah. when proper work came in. Right. And it just took ages. And, and we had to just say, we can't do Moonbase mm. and Planet 55 then did, did a wonderful job yeah. on Moonbase and we can't do Underwater Menace and nobody got to do Underwater Menace yeah. um, and we had to we actually had to, to give money back I think, I think really? we'd been given part of the money we'd not spent it but we had to give part of the Moonbase money back oh so you had already been commissioned to yeah do we'd Moonbase. been commissioned to do it uh, and it just wasn't viable and actually Curious had, had been having some problems anyway mm. and they folded I think a, a couple of years after that. Yeah. It wasn't directly related, you know, it was Doctor Who was part of that picture but it wasn't mm. like that project sunk them. Yeah. Uh, but we loved doing it. We had such a lovely time doing it and and I know some people come out and say it's like Captain Pugwash or whatever. Fuck you, Captain, <laughs> Captain Pugwash people. Fuck you. Uh, but I, I, I would always defend it and say I think, I do think it feels like the episodes around it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think particularly when the animation is more about the faces and the emotion, I think the guys did a really lovely job on just on the performances mm. of those faces. Where we fall down is as soon as anybody needs to move <laughs> or, or walk or run or wave their arms or get hit over the head, it's a real shame that episode two, the first missing one, mm. begins with, I think, Jamie being knocked out. Yeah. And, and, and we go, yeah. and, and And it's such a shame in a way that it begins like that because mm. I think that gives you a kind of na- a nasty feeling mm. from the beginning. But that's always uh, the yeah. way, though. When, when, you know, it's, it's fine to look at. And then as soon as something moves, you think, oh, that's not quite right. Yeah. You know, it, 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 yeah. it's, it's one of those things. What, um, I, what, really I, liked, what I liked yeah. about those clips, the Evil of the Darks one and the Tenth Flight one, mm. is that they were quite stylized in terms of the, the character design, yeah. uh, which I really liked. And I was sort of sad that we didn't get to see that because obviously now they mm. tried to, I mean, Planet 55 tried to be sort of hyper-realistic. Mm. I don't know if that, where the limited budget doesn't yeah. necessarily work in its favor. Not always. I think, I'd, I mean, I really like those original designs and they were a bit more angular. And yeah. I think the lines were a bit thicker. Yeah. yeah. I think it was more like, I mean, we were always talking about Archer as a good reference point for, you know, if you remove the big CG bits they do in Archer, then yeah. the actual core animation, mm. it doesn't need to be the most expensive animation in the world yeah. to, to, to do its job. And we were doing a mini version of that. Uh, I, th- I think we probably just said, let's, I think it would have been about matching the story. Mm. I think we were worried that if you've got 
that doing those angular, more caricature designs would work really well for maybe Evil of the Daleks, where most of it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we would have said, I think I probably said with Ice Warriors, let's just ease back on that a little, yeah. you know, in order to, 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 so we don't completely change the whole tone of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I, I like those as well. Mm. It would have been nice to see that. I suppose there are two schools of thinking when it comes to the animation. It's like you either stick really stringently to let's make this look like a 60s production yeah. or let's go uber stylized. And I suppose now where you're not having to jigsaw the episodes together with animations, yeah. you can kind of have more creative free mm. reign. Like, mm. well, we're doing the whole story, so why don't we just kind of you know, yeah. change everything up a yeah. little bit or make it a bit more stylized or whatever. Uh, it, it's a trick, and I, 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 I wouldn't change what we did on the Ice Warriors no. at all. I have really enjoyed the other ones that have been done. Mm. Macro is my favourite. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I just yeah. think the animation is beautiful for you know, considering we're still low budget. Yeah. I think the fluidity on the faces and and it is lovely in Macro. Uh, I would have kept stuff. I wouldn't have yeah. get rid of got rid of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I think as an animation, it's a lovely job. Mm. Uh, and I, so that that one I really like, and I like Sharda very much as well. I thought Sharda did mm. did, did, yeah. did a good job. And the and the plan and, and and you know the animation in Moonbase is not I wouldn't do it hyper real yeah but I really liked I thought they did a really solid job where they they had that creative idea and they mm. stuck to it yeah and the production values are really good yeah I I, I like Fury from the Deep people have been quite mean about mm. Fury I I, 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 I really enjoyed oh, seeing yeah. Fury I love that shot I said to Gary Russell I love the shot when the Doctor gets hit by the dart and there's just a painted shot when he's lying on the beach. Mm. Uh, knocked out mm. and it's not animated at all it's mm. just a, yeah. a pure painting and it's just really beautiful yeah. and I love that it's fabulous yeah. so going back to Josh's question yeah. what yes. was the, the yeah, missing what was story which one? Yeah. <laughs> what, which one would I have yeah. loved with, did yeah. we say infinite budget or can uh, I imagine let's infinite, say budget? infinite budget yeah, why, why not, not? Okay. Uh, I mean I think uh, I think if you really had the money to do it then, then it, there's this big gaping hole where the Daleks master plan should be yeah. isn't mm. there and, and being uh, that's not to say that everything in the Daleks master plan is I th I'm sure we'd get to like that that m late middle period mm. of it and go. When are we going back to the story? Yes. <laughs> what's going on? But the, but the first five six parts of it are yeah. so much fun, mm. and then it ends so well. Yeah. Uh, and then you could have like a nice cricket match in between, and the monks here, hooray, <laughs> and all that. And I would and I think the destruction of time at the end yeah. would be a really fun thing mm. to bring to life and and make that really give that proper kind of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusades, you know. Yeah. She chose poorly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, that, 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 would, that would all be fun. Um, Marco Polo would be great. Yeah. Because yeah. visually, if you were doing it in that way where you're not worried about what camera script said and so mm -hmm. on, then you could make that. Like yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. That would be yeah. beautiful. Uh, I love I love Macra, so I'm slightly jealous that they got because yeah. I've always, I really like Macra. I really like uh, the kind of, the, the, the kind of, it's almost like a Saturday afternoon matinee version of 1984. Mm. It's like a kid's, like kind of baby's first 1984. Yeah. All, all, all the stuff with the with the jingles. I love all that. Yeah. It's just so weird and, and quirky and fun. And I remember saying to Rob Ritchie, who animated on that, when he said they were doing it, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see. <laughs> this is not like, I, I can't wait to see the scene when they put them in the rough and tumble machine. Because that's like, yeah. I, 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 if I was going to write what the Doctor's like, yes. I would say, well, mm. You know, he's the kind of guy where he's scruffy and you try and make him smart and then he'd get scruffy again. Yeah. That's exactly who the Doctor is. Yeah. And, and then he was like, I've got some bad news, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and I was got so it. sad, I was so sad. But so, so Master Plan, I mean, something like, you know, those, those weird stories that we know nothing about. Mm. Things like the massacre mm. and yes. the myth makers. 
and the savages, things like that would be fun. Because mm. yeah. you would feel like you were really uncovering something. Mm. Yeah. Like Marco Polo, we, we, we know fairly well, don't mm. we? Yes. It's all gone, yeah. Yeah. but we, we've got enough bits of it yeah. that we feel like it's a friend of ours. Mm. But the massacre, yeah, yeah it's just so you know, unknown. So alien, it's yeah. really strange. So I'd love to be, I love the archaeology mm. of doing a story like that, that you think, if we don't do this, mm. the story will never be out there. Yeah. It yeah. will never be really engaged with by fandom. All so of them, I think, good. is the answer there from Chris. Yeah, really. Well, that yeah. would be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. The Highlanders. The smugglers. Oh, the smugglers. smugglers. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to do making. I really want to do a smugglers making of mm. on location, because a lot of those places, yeah. there, there's some lovely cine film behind the scenes on that one. Uh, and the Highlanders you could do something mm. with, but the smugglers would be fun. And you've still got Annika, you could take Annika back. Yeah. True. And if Annika's you did the smugglers, great. you could do it in Captain Pugwash style, and they could be a real fuck yes. you to <laughs> people. Like, well, there you go. <laughs> Deep cut reference there, to get. So Andrew says, looking back at your earliest Who films from the DVD era, is there anything specific you would have done differently with the skills and knowledge you have now? Conversely, is there something from that era you're especially proud of? So there's always, I mean, I, I, I try, try not to go back and rewatch them too much. Uh, there's always bits that you watch and you think, oh, I wouldn't do that now. Yeah. And there's, there's a terrible bit in Looking for Peter when Toby leaves his house for the first time. You've had this really nice opening, but then he leaves his house and for some reason there's a, a library music track that's like, dun, 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 <laughs> right. as Toby's walking down. I'm going to go and uncover this. And I'm like, why the fuck have I picked that piece of music? <laughs> why? And I remember being in the edit thinking, I'm not sure about that piece of music, but maybe it's okay. Yeah. And actually, I should have immediately gone, that's shit, why yeah. is that? And it completely sticks out like a sore thumb in the tone of the film. Um, so I changed that. Uh, there, there are docs, I mean, most, mostly I get annoyed about like bad green screens mm. and things like that. You know, I remember we did a shoot in a London studio early on where I'd never used it before, didn't have a chance to recce, uh, had a terrible turned out to be a really small studio mm. where they painted everything green, so green that everybody had the reflections yeah. of the green. It kind of bled onto your Why? face just from sitting in there. And the acoustics were really terrible. And unfortunately, when I shot it that day, I think we, we filmed with Katie Manning. And I think we did three interviews in one with her. Mm. Like we did, we, did, we did this quite a bit with the regulars where we'd, we'd say, you know, we'd acknowledge that someone like Katie, does, you know, there'll be some stories that she remembers vividly. Mm. And somewhere she's like, yeah, that was just a story. And so you'd do like an hour and do 20 minutes on three different stories. Yeah. And, and I really hated the fact that we had to keep using this shitty studio because those three Katie bits would have appear in films much later. Of course. Yeah. When we were doing rear projection and it was looking mm. lovely, yeah. Yeah. suddenly you go to Katie's interview and the acoustics would be shit and, mm. and it would look awful. And you'd think, oh, shit. You know, you'd have this thing around your neck and you mm. wouldn't have the budget to go and refilm it. Mm. I wish we'd got more of the regulars. I think one of the big things that Russell's done is he's said, you know, we're Doctor Who. So you need the Doctor mm. and you need the companions. Mm. And there's no discussion about this, you know. And, and to be fair, you know, he's, he, he'll benchmark budget mm. and say, you know, this money needs to be spent on getting Peter or Janet or whoever. Uh, and that's really good because I think in the DVD range there was no pressure to do that and there was an awareness that if you wanted to interview Tom that would be more expensive and you'd have to go and film perhaps at his home mm. so you can't do that as part of a big studio day in London you're having to spend a lot mm. more money and so you, we'd often go well I don't know if Tom would remember that much about this one mm. so you know so we, we, we had Tom on Sharda because mm. I thought this feels like it's a would be a big memory for Tom yeah. and that was lovely and I wish we'd done that more often. Mm. Uh, like Sylvester, 
isn't in the greatest show in the galaxy no. doc. Mm. Uh, just purely on a money thing, and, and, and also thinking, let's get people who haven't been interviewed before. Uh, Stephen Wyatt isn't mm-hmm. on The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, which is why I really want to do a season right. 25 writer's yeah. room so yeah. we can redress that. Because Stephen very rightly, I think, emailed me at the time and said, why, why am I not doing this? Yeah. And I didn't really have an answer other than mm. we, can, we only have the money for mm. five, five or six interviewees. Mm. So, you know, uh, so I, if I had the money to, I would go back and I would just, just speak to more people. Because mm. that whole system I was describing of two films shot in a day means that you, most of those docs only have like five or six people in them. Of course. And now we're, flex, we're far more flexible. So we, I don't tend to shoot in the studio. And when we do something like Our Sarah Jane, mm. uh, there's like, I think it's like 15, 16 interviewees in mm. there. Because it's me, I can now shoot. And I couldn't shoot then, but mm. I can shoot now. I'm, and I can shoot well. And I can physically go to somebody's house and do that very inexpensively. Mm. And... And that means I suddenly can interview 15 people, yeah. where I could only really do five before. So more people and more big, more like Doctor Who, more, more regulars yeah. is what yeah. I would add to the DVDs in particular. Fair enough. Um, Sarah Sad asks, are there any looking for documentaries you really want to do in the future? Looking for Peter is one of my favourite docs made oh, for Doctor Who. That's nice of Sarah. Uh, yeah, loads. Loads. Uh, Without giving anything away. <laughs> well, uh, there's, a, there's a couple that we've always talked about. Uh, I think we always wanted to do something with Jackie Lane. Mm. And then obviously, very sadly, we lost Jackie. But I think there's an argument to say the looking for format could work really nicely for Jackie. Mm. She was always so elusive to fandom and, yeah. you, know, you know, was probably having a very happy life. Mm. Doesn't owe us anything. Mm. Uh, but I'd love to do something that really, you know, got to know Jackie. We never quite got there. Mm. Uh, I know she's in the after party very briefly, but... Yeah. Uh, we, we I've never, got a special note to come back to that later on. No, so, so, so that'd be good. I know, I know Toby really wants to do a Pat Gorman one. Yeah, wants to like the many faces of. Yeah. I, I'm game for that. Uh, but I think, but I also don't want to do like a shitload of them. Yeah, I want that to be. There's, there's been these nice gaps between the ones that we've done so far, mm. and and you know also because I want to use uh, work with Toby on different ones, like the revisited or the weekends mm. with, and I'd love to do more of the weekend ones, but. Uh, no, there, I think there were there were quite a few different people. I was thinking about uh, about Dursley McClendon as mm-hmm. well uh, for season twenty-five. That's his name, isn't it? Yeah. The, uh, uh, who obviously has come more to the fore with the connection to It's a Sin and yeah. so on. Yeah. And and the, and and the Dursley might be quite an interesting person to fit into that, or maybe that's more of a traditional biography. I'm mm-hmm. not sure, but uh, I, I definitely want to do more of them. Fab. Like the next one, Sarah. You can see the next one. <laughs> uh, LTH Music asks, what do you think the biggest challenge will be when making the seasons one to six collection box sets? I guess ultimately, probably two things. One is that they're, they're really big, mm. aren't they? So yeah. all of those seasons are, I can't remember, they're, 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 they're like 40, 40 episodes. episodes yeah. They're huge. Uh, and so they're, they're big. And, and often, because they're older, then they're, they're in a state of disrepair compared to some of the things. So for Peter Crocker, who does the bulk of the restoration, mm. uh, and, and for Mark Ayres on the audio, it, they're, they're, they're all huge. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a big thing. That's probably the biggest challenge. The, the other one is more practical, is the sense of, um, you know, if it's a season with lots of gaps, mm. then how do we do that? Yeah. I'm not really privy to that, in mm. honesty. I, I, mm. I'll, I'll probably be one of the last to know if there's like a new plan afoot with the animations. Yeah. I've done, uh, I, I tend to 
stay quite close to it because I do the, I'll often volunteer to do the making of for an animated story because mm, often yeah. it's a story. I, I, I find all the missing stories quite interesting mm. and I think you can still do a really good documentary even with scant resources. Like mm. I, we, I was really happy with how the Galaxy 4 one turned yes. out yeah. Yeah. when actually there's not a lot you'd think on paper mm. are we even going to make a film about Galaxy 4 but yeah. I was happy that that felt distinct and we've done one that's coming up uh, which I think is a really good one as well and uh, so I, I think uh, and, I, and I don't really know the answer mm. some people have said how are they going to tackle it mm. I think they'll tackle it in different ways I think the range will be in no rush yeah. to release a set that, that feels incomplete yeah. I think that it makes perfect sense to go for the seasons that are, that are more complete mm. but the lovely thing is now because of all that work that's been done seasons like season 5 you know, part, part, partly because of returned episodes and Philip Morrison and all that. Yeah. Uh, season five is suddenly like, oh, that's yeah. that's pretty much a boxer, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so suddenly the gates open to us to say, mm. and what's missing from it? You know, mm. what can yeah. we add to that? You yeah. know, so that's really exciting. I guess it's like three, like kind of one and two, and six are fine. Mm. Mm. Five's fine. It's kind of three and four. Yeah. I guess four is better than it was, isn't it? Because you've got e- evil and... With the animations, yeah. 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 But three is the one that's very thin on the ground. Mm. Three, three is... Uh, so I'm sure you won't, you won't, that won't be like the next set being announced. No. <laughs> you know, it, would, it would be crazy. It would be crazy. And I, don't, and I honestly don't know quite, quite what will happen to that. Uh, but I think the exciting thing for me is that with each of them, you're opening up these new avenues towards mm. these cast members that you think suddenly, sure. right, I can make a Michael Craze documentary yeah. or I, I can do something about all those kind of invisible producers from, mm. the, from, from the 60s, you know, people like Innes Lloyd, yeah. who yeah. we hear about all the time and it's like, what do I know about Innes yeah. Lloyd? Yeah. Or Anthony Coburn or something like that. Loads of them, loads yeah. of them. And I feel like, the, I feel like there's, there's rich pickings mm. and actually, weirdly, people go, oh, but isn't everybody dead? And you say, well, actually, in the 60s, the show certain parts of the show were really young mm. you know were manned by people who, who were these kind of young young kids breaking through so quite a few you know some of the, those directors and people involved in it are still with it's it's healthier in some ways than the 70s mm. there are some 70s series some Tom seasons yeah. that will be really tricky because yeah. mm. everybody's gone yeah. so the 60s ones I'm like oh lovely we can you know Fraser's well and healthy Wendy and Annika you know yeah. all these people are still around uh, and I'd love to do like a doctor's table mm. with the three of those guys and, and, and like D- and, and David Troughton or something, yeah. you know, and kind of, you know, there's lots of things we can do. So I, I, I can't wait for us to be able to access those seasons cool. and play with them. Uh, Patrick Sherwood asks, yeah. um, how long does it take for you to come up with an idea for a big finish uh, to then it becoming a full script and then having made to audio? So the for post- someone like yourself, you kind of mm. dip in and out of that. So how would a commission generally work for you versus like, I don't know, someone who seems more staff like a Matt Fitton or an Eddie Robson? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 for me, Big Finish is a lovely, it's kind of a lovely tonic that I, I, I really don't, I don't think I'd be necessarily good enough to do this anyway. That I'd have no aspirations particularly to become a full-time writer. Mm. Uh, and I enjoy the fact that I can do a documentary and then write a script. And often the two are very beneficial to each other. Mm. Like if I've, um, if I've just been making a big observational thing like an hour school or something, mm. then I've spent six months hoping and praying that somebody might say the thing that will make it work or, sure. you know, and, and trying to coax a story out of reality, which mm. is often far messier than television. Uh, 
and then I can go and write a big finished script. Yeah. And often it will be like in the evenings when I'm editing in the daytime or something. And, and I'm suddenly like, aha, I can make everybody say exactly, exactly what I want. <laughs> I can be a complete fascist about this. And, 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 and I can also take the ideas, the real life stuff I've encountered in documentary hmm. and channel that into a Doctor hmm. Who version of it. Uh, and then as soon as I get to a point where I'm bored of sitting on my own writing a script, <laughs> I can go back and make a documentary. So they, they feed each other really well. Uh, typically, so for instance, I pitched a Big Finish the day before yesterday, mm -hmm. where I'd worked with a particular producer on a previous one, and they'd enjoyed that one, mm -hmm. and they, uh, I think, tweeted, uh, no, they, they DM'd me on Twitter mm -hmm. to say, uh, do you fancy writing for the next set? And I said, yes, please. Uh, and then I kind of, wrote, I kind of basically, I, I have a document of story ideas, like a bank of ideas mm. that I've written down when I've been off work or whatever. Mm. Uh, and I'll often look back at that and just think, oh, is there anything there that isn't shit, you know, that, that <laughs> might work for, for this particular crew that, that this producer is looking after? And, oh, that, that one would work, that one might work. Uh, oh, and I've had that new idea from last week, I'll put that one in as well. So in this case, I then, I updated the document a bit and I sent this producer uh, six ideas, I think, all for that target crew. And some of them I'd already created them with that crew, you know, yeah. at least with that doctor in mind. And some of them I'm like, oh, I, I had seen that for five, but actually that would work for six or, or seven or whoever mm. it might be. Uh, and, and I sent, that, sent those over and they came back and said, uh, this one, can you, because I would have just written like a paragraph or two, yeah. uh, like a proper blurb. And do you write it as a synopsis, like a billing, or do you write yeah. it kind of a condensed version of the story, beginning, middle and end? Bit of both. Uh, the easier thing to write is the billing, mm. yeah. because then you don't have to know what your ending is. Mm. And you're like, and how will the doctor get out of it? <laughs> well, this sounds great, but I don't know yeah. what's going to happen at the end. And, and often the feedback will be, can you tell me like what happens? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it can't just be the sizzle. You know, yeah. and 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 so, mm -hmm. in this case, they came back and said, like this one, can you can you expand on this? Which is fair enough, because you you can't know every detail of every possible story that mm -hmm. you would like. And so I then wrote uh, a, a, a page and a bit. On, on the episodes for that and said literally episode one this is what happens in episode one mm. and that can take a while you know that kind of story treatment can the, the episode breakdown and the good and you it's good to spend time on that because that will make writing it much easier mm. if you've actually cracked the problem of A to B to C mm. and why and what's going on what's the theme um, and I've sent that to them and now I wait <laughs> uh, and so they in, in theory They'll probably give me some notes. I'll fix that. They will send that off to be signed off by the BBC, whichever bit they send it to now. And, and then they'll let me write. And I, I guess traditionally, I, if I've got that story treatment and I think it works, then, I, then I'll probably spend, the, on the first draft, if I'm going easy and I'm sitting in cafes and I'm having a nice time, then I might do an episode, I might do an episode every two days. Um, so a four-parter would take me eight days, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then I would maybe spend another week going back over the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And just, and because normally that first draft's shit. Mm -hmm. And you just think, this is all, I always say it's like a kind of rope bridge. You know, you, well, you know, you know that thing when often they're building a proper bridge, mm. yeah. but they start by throwing ropes across the, 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 the ravine or whatever mm. it might be. And that's what the first draft is. It's just mm -hmm. the ropes have been slung. And you kind of know where you're going to, mm. but it's it's a bit it's a bit it's not great. You wouldn't send your kids out on it. Sure, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be good for that. Uh, 
So, so then just rewriting and rewriting. And I guess that just depends, you know, how lucky you get. Yeah. How much you have actually thought it through. Because <laughs> that rewrite write, might be quite a quick one or might take a lot longer. And then you send it to the boss and they will give you either not many notes or maybe quite a few notes. Mm. And, and, and you just have to bounce it back and forward until you're, until you're done. But often what I'll do is I'll balance it with telework. So what works quite well is if I'm, if I'm doing a proper telly job, often I can't do anything else at that mm. time. So like the Stephen Fry thing or something I'm about to do for Channel 4, uh, I can't do anything else at the time because it's just taking the piss mm. yeah, to, to moonlight like that. Uh, but if, in theory, the Doctor Who should fit in between those jobs. Yeah. And what's quite nice is if I do spend the morning doing production stuff yeah. and organising shoots and using that part of my brain and often firing off emails that you know you won't get responses for a while mm. and then spend the afternoon writing scripts and suddenly you're like, oh, this is much better. This nice. is <laughs> and then I'm not waiting on my inbox going, why haven't they replied? Why not, you know, I'm getting on with... Busy yourself. Yeah, yeah. so that works nicely. Uh, so yeah, so I guess a, a four-parter is probably about 20 days' work for me. But I think that, you know, you people like John Dorney, mm. who's genius, mm. John will, as far as I know, I, I know John does kind of acting jobs as well and, 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 yeah. write, and is writing uh, in other ways. But John does so many scripts mm. that I'm sure someone like John has got a better workflow than I sure. has kind of cracked it. I'm kind of doing it as a tourist in a way. I'm yeah, really yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I'm enjoying doing it. Enjoying your uh, time. Yeah. Cool. I'm, not, I'm not staying up to midnight. Doing it. I'm, <laughs> I'm finding a nice cafe in Bristol. Yeah. I'll often go to the the Bristol uh, what's it called the, the the Boston Tea Party. Oh, yeah, Boston Tea Party. Has yeah, a yeah, really yeah. nice upstairs space. Yes. And I will get scrambled egg on toast, and I will write a big finish, and I will feel very happy. Oh, and I will yes. look out the windows, people come past and stuff. Yeah. Like Perfect. So now you've just doxed yourself. There so you go. Yeah. Who fans know exactly every, where to go? Boston Tea Party in Bristol. <laughs> um, uh, Jeremy Duncan asks the very serious question here. I do. Will the logo change halfway through the collection? So I don't know. And who no. do we ask? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the, the person who asks is Russell. But I think, speaking as a fan, yeah. not as an insider or anything, uh, I think it's unlikely. Yeah. Because history has shown two, two things. It was shown that when the DVD range had the same issue, yeah. it didn't suddenly become like the Eccleston taxi logo sure. at that point. It, it kept with the same logo. Uh, I think when they've started doing the collection, they know what it is. They mm. know that it is a collection. It yeah. is something that needs to feel cohesive on a shelf, and that's what the buyers want. So I think that counts for something. I also think that the person in charge of Cardiff is Russell T. Davis. Mm. And I, I don't think Russell's going to mess with I don't think Russell would say everything has to have the, my logo. Now, yeah. And I think he would also defend things like the collection. You know, And I know he, he does watch it. Yeah. We've had occasional bits of feedback, that which is very nice. Um, but I'd, I'd be amazed if it changed. Yeah. I mean, never say never, and I don't know anything, yeah. but I'd be amazed if it changed. There we go. There's your cast iron guarantee there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how did this, from Macro 99, how did COVID affect filming for the Who Rays? Yeah, lots. Mm. Yeah, lots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, there were bigger things in the world uh, than what happens to Doctor Who dogs. But, and I, I've told this story before, so I won't, I won't give you too much. But uh, it kind of hit us at a point at almost the worst moment that it could. Mm. Because normally we have, certainly I have, lots of docs going on for different seasons. And it just so happened that in March 2020, we'd come to the end, certainly I'd come to the end of a cycle mm. where I was doing season eight, mm. and that was the only one in front of me. Mm. And, uh, and we were then going to figure out what the next lot of work would be. 
because that happened, it meant that we didn't have something in our back pocket mm. to be able to go, oh, well, we've already finished this one. Mm. Yeah. Which if it had happened at different points, we, we would have done. Mm. We would have been a, a release or two ahead. Certainly on the docks, we would have been. Um, <coughs> and so it really hit us because when we did the direct route for mm. season eight, that was in early March, beginning of March 2020. And that was the point when you know, you had people being locked in hotels in the Wirral or, yeah. you know, that awful thing with the, with the cruise liner in, yeah. Uh, yeah. was that in China or was that in Japan? I can't remember. No, I can't remember. All these awful, you yeah. know, but it felt very kind of on the peripheral and contained. And, and I remember on that shoot, Tim Coombe, the director, saying, uh, oh, I'm a bit worried about this COVID thing, Chris. And me almost being like, don't worry, Tim, it's fine. Everybody it's was right. like that. People it's were taking the mic and making jokes in offices. Oh, God, and we were in this very office laughing yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, re I remember saying to the hotels at the time, I just would like to check your COVID policy. Are yeah. you cleaning door handles? What, what, are the, what are your staff doing? Okay, but I was almost ticking a box yeah. Yeah. by doing so. And, and that film happened and, and wasn't impacted at all by COVID. Uh, but then I had a... It was really busy. Um, I was setting up for the the Frank Skinner, Terence Dix mm. documentary that we did and for uh, Devil's Weekend, yeah. the film yeah. with Katie and John Levine in Oldbourne. And they were going to film consecutively. Mm. That's crazy. They were mm. going to film like, Frank was going to be like Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the weekend was going to be wow. Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And it was all geared up. Was, I mean, I'd spent weeks setting it up mm. uh, and it was going to be great. And, and, and as I was driving to the hotel the day before the Frank, first day of Frank Skinner, Boris was on the radio doing the first press conference mm. where they said, basically, this is Go happening. On. And I just had to phone everybody and say, yeah. let's knock it on the head. Because mm. we were going to be filming with like Terence Dix's widow, uh, with, with Elsa, who's in her 80s. Yeah. And, mm. and I th at that point, no, we didn't know quite how serious this thing was. Yeah. And you, we couldn't have risked you know, any of those, the health of those mm. people. So we just had to knock on the head. And at that point, there was no guarantee that anything was going to happen. So Frank Skinner amazingly had said yes to do it. Mm. Uh, there was no guarantee that we were ever going to make that film yeah. at that point. And we'd flown over Terence Dix's childhood friend, uh, Richard, from Canada, in uh, order for them to meet at uh, Terence's, to meet Frank at Terence's old university stomping ground. And, uh, and, and we had to send him back. <laughs> I was going to say, because on the finished doc, he's on Zoom. He's on, he's on Zoom, yeah. Because yeah. wow. we, we, we literally, he was great about it. But, and, and we paid for the flight and he got to catch up with friends, but we had to arrange for him to go straight back. Mm. And then, we, we, a, a, we couldn't afford to fly him over again, yeah. but we also couldn't, couldn't safely in a COVID sense, because he, he was in his 80s. Yeah. Right? So we, we ended up using a, a Canadian, he's in Canada, I think, and we used a Canadian crew mm. to go around to film him for the Zoom, so it wasn't just relying on Zoom being rubbish yeah. Know, yeah. in between. And uh, yeah, so it really impacted that. But actually, in some ways, it became better because I, that, I, I think when, I, when we were setting that up, I spoke to Frank for the first time really late in the day. Mm. And I hadn't realised that he lived on the same street as Terence. Right. And I was like, no, Frank, you, are, you, are you joking? Like, <laughs> no, literally, I'm over the road from him. And I always wanted to go and knock on his door. And wow. I was like, shit. Because uh, that's a great yeah. in, isn't yeah. it? That's a great thread. And, but that um, would never would have been mentioned initially. So initially, initially uh, because I'd already set up this whole intro where Frank was going to be in Cambridge right. at a park bench reading mm. uh, Doctor Who and the Auton Invasion or something, mm. uh, and th then I was going to do, I was going to have Frank introduce the whole con the whole street connection just before he knocked on Elsa's door, because mm. uh, that was just the way that 
I'd structured the filming and we'd set it all up. And then I heard this from Frank. And actually, because it got cancelled, it meant I could go, actually, am I doing this the right way? Wouldn't mm. it be nicer to frame the whole movie, the whole film, through, through Frank Street? Yeah. And, and, and so I think that makes it much stronger mm. than it would have been. Um, uh, Devil's Weekend... Um, you know, you, we, 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 we're doing social distancing where we can, so you can see that. I don't mind all that. Yeah. I think that's just an interesting time capsule for what we've lived through. Mm. Some people say, oh, it dates it. I don't, I don't care. I think it's interesting. Mm. I think in the future, that episode of Have I Got News For You, when everybody's on a TV screen, yeah. Yeah. will be fucking fascinating be. to look back on. It will yeah. be amazing. Uh, and I'm glad it happened. But, but on that one, the only thing we lost on Devil's Weekend was that we were going to have the Headlington Quarrymen the uh, doing the, the, the most dances, wow. and and four or five of those guys from the original shoot are still alive and involved. Wow, so they were going to turn up on the on the on the on the on the village green, wow. and 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 teach Katie and John to Morris dance with them. <laughs> and that was the only thing we couldn't do because yeah. they were just like you know they, they were all really old. Yeah. And mm. and I was saying, can you jump on a minibus? And they were like, no. <laughs> and and I was and very rightly, yeah. yeah. You know, it would it would have been a risk to them in a way that it wasn't to, to kind of meeting people who were kids yeah, at, of course. At, at the time. So that was that. That was the, I missed the Morris dancers. Mm. I think that would have been fun. But I was so relieved that we got those films made because mm. we basically downed tools mm. for about four months, and just Russell and I said, let's just wait and see what happens, mm. and and then we we got to a point where it felt like actually we can make this now. Yeah. But we didn't know that might just those films might never have happened. Mm. So I was relieved that they did. Yeah, so are we. Um, well, I think this question kind of follows on from that. Really, uh, Zach asks, uh, "What have been the greatest struggles of the Hooray collection so far?" So, so the, season eight was the hardest one to make. Yeah, just the process of having to set up a shoot twice is demoralising mm. and frustrating yeah. and exhausting. Uh, and I'm a one-man band in that sense. Mm. You know, I, on the shoot, I've got a big team of people, uh, and it's a collaboration. In the prep, I, it's just me. Yep. So I'm I'm booking every hotel, I'm hiring every car, mm. I'm doing the whole call sheet, I'm doing the risk assessment. I'm, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big job, and yeah. so that moment of thinking, I've done this already. Mm. I'm going to have to do this again. It was like like you you're like you completed your favourite computer game, and yeah. then somebody wiped the file, and you thought. Do this again. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you might find some things to enjoy along the way, but mm. you've already done this. Why am I doing this again? Yeah. <laughs> so that was really hard. Um, the shoot for we did a lovely. I was very happy with the doc we did for Fury from the Deep, mm. uh, the Cruel Sea. Yeah, uh, that was one of the hardest things to do. Like physically, the day when we uh, we took a ship out um, to uh, the oh god, what the fuck? Uh, the sea forts, the, the, yeah. the, the, yeah. the, the Red Sand Sea Fort. Uh, just outside of Margate uh, was huge you know it was a really logistically tricky day it was a day where we'd already had to change the shoot day because uh, the weather had turned and uh, that was really hard to kind of reposition everything mm. to allow it to still go on we had an amazing bit on that day when we were obviously filming with, with, with a drone and we had our boat and uh, we flew the drone uh, a, a good friend of mine called, called uh, amazing, amazingly called Toffer McGrillis is his <laughs> name, and and he he flew the drone for that. And we had this problem that when he flew the drone close to the to the rig, the the old rusty metal seemed to interfere with the drone signal, wow. and this started happening. And the and the machine went uh, and wanted to fly back home, yeah. wanted to fly back to where it had taken off from. Mm. But of course we were on a boat that had travelled hundred metres, <laughs> so it flew back. 
and then started descending oh. towards the sea. Well, and this isn't a remote... The, 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 the rushes that we spent the whole day shooting mm. are on a card on that on drone. That, yeah. So when that goes in the water, everything we've lost gone. everything. And we hurriedly had to turn the boat around mm. and get underneath it. And Toffer's, Toffer's there with his rope trail, literally going, <laughs> shit, shit, shit. And, and I had to jump up on the top of the boat and catch it. Wow. Out, out of midair to kind of to keep it safe. Wow. So that was a fairly stressful day. Sounds like it. And, and, and because of the weather and various things, when we actually got onto the rig, uh, I had like about 15 minutes to shoot everything that you see on the rig. Mm. And that was really hard. Because there's a sense with that. Because I was cross-shooting myself and a chap called, called, uh, called uh, Jeremy Bishop, who I use a lot, who is a good friend. And, and I kind of said to Jeremy, look, this is a bit dangerous, so... What I'd rather you stay down, and I'll go up and shoot this. Mm. Uh, let's keep this simple and not have two shooters running around. And having to shoot that all in fifteen yeah, minutes on, your own. on mm. my own, Why? and and to be really disciplined with mm. it, because sometimes sometimes I go a bit mad. Like if it's a short amount of time, if I know we're behind, you can lose your mind. Yeah. Sometimes you can just just become ragged. Yeah. And you're just shooting, but you're not thinking. And on that one, I kept, I, mercifully, I managed to keep it together. And, and so, but that was really hard. I think at the end of that day, mm. we were all ready for bed. We were very <laughs> tired on that. Um, and so then on. we've got one from Retro Menace, which says, will we get a Wilderness Years collection set in the future? And what kind of approach would a set like that require? I mean, you've already mentioned TV movie, mm. maybe uh, something you'd like to do. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything official about this. Yes. But... But I would look if I was a fan, which mm. I am. I would mm. look at the sets and think, well, where's where's Who Peter Part Two? Where's Search Out Science? You know, mm. where are they going to go? And, mm. and people might draw their own conclusions as to where they're going to go. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to go somewhere. Mm. And and so I, I think a Wilderness Years is, is a great idea for a set. Mm. Uh, and I think people are like, oh, what are you going to put on it? I think there's shitloads of stuff. Yeah, you can yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, a TV the TV movie is a centerpiece of mm. if, if you were going to do that. Uh, so I think you would I think there's loads of stuff to be done and if you could get the rights to it then I don't mm. know the answer to this but having Dimensions in Time yeah. Yeah. you know you, you might be able to, maybe you could do like a Dimensions in Time Revisited mm. you know that would work quite well with that strand but I would most love to do it I'd be most excited about the TV movie making yeah. of thing yeah. that would be the big thing but I think you could do a real proper warts and all thing on like Big Finish yeah, and on uh, on all the literature, all yeah. the kind of new, new and missing adventures, and stuff. I know that's been touched on in the Doctor Forever stuff, but I think you could do something. There's still a lot like, to yeah, tap. I put, yeah, like a biggie stuff like uh, more than thirty years. And, yeah, you know, yeah. even just the making of that because that was such a great kind oh, of yeah, it's fantastic piece. You know? Well, no, and, and you could do with, with that. I know that Kevin's got a lot of stories. Yeah, Kevin Davis, the director, has got a lot of stories to tell about that. But but the truth is, the genuine truth is, I don't know. Yeah, and I won't know until Russell says it's been greenlit. Yeah, and and it's genuinely our intention to to, to do the lot. Mm. But until something is greenlit, yeah, yeah, we don't know if it's going to happen or not. Theoretically, because mm. if if everybody suddenly went. I'm not buying season 22. <laughs> that sounds rubbish. Yeah. Nobody bought it. Then, you know, there's no guarantee until we're commissioned. Mm. But certainly, we like to make things about Doctor Who. Yeah. And that's Doctor Who. I like it. <laughs> and then the final question, which is not a Doctor Who question, ah. you'll be pleased to, to hear, is. Or uh, sad, possibly. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 
Uh, Chris Clark asks, what is your favourite incarnation of Megatron and why? <laughs> and also, your favourite Transformer in the collection. I was actually going to say to you, who's your favourite Transformer? So, so this is, I don't know how many people know, uh, my, my, my kind of geeky sideline, really. Mm. My, my, my first love is Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a big Transformers fan. I'm yeah. quite a specific Transformers fan. I'm very much, uh, some people w w will hate this, uh, but I'm very much a kind of G1. Yeah. Uh, I'm driven by the nostalgia of my childhood. But really, the stuff I really love is the is is, is the run on on Marvel Comics, specifically yeah. like the UK Simon Furman run. Uh, I think is amazing, and I and I've got them all up on my shelf, and I and it was a really uh, important thing to me at that age. Mm. It was because they were fucking incredibly violent mm. and really <laughs> and, and nasty and grown up and smart. And I think Simon, I've never met Simon, but I, I would hug him if I met him because I think <laughs> he's 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 a real smart guy. And I and I love the way that that weaves in and out of the U.S. comic that that, that Bob Budiansky was writing at the same time. So I love all that. Uh, Megatron. I mean, I'd go. I'd go original yeah. Megatron. You know, and I, I'm a complete sucker for the the cartoon and the and the uh, and the movie in particular. Mm. I'd go movie Megatron. Yeah. That original movie. Not. I mean, I'm, I'm a, again. I'm a complete cliche because I can't stand the Michael Bay movies, and yeah. I would never have that Megatron. No, and I don't know what he's supposed to look like. He's yeah. just like a fucking mess. Uh, <laughs> Uh, apologies to Inflatable Dalek if you're watching this. I know you're a fan, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, but I think I think, but it, I would really say Marvel Megatron. Right. I would really say, actually, although I love Furman, there's a lovely run at the beginning of the US comic that Buddy Ensky writes when uh, everybody's been deactivated by Shockwave right. and Megatron and Ratchet join forces. Okay. Yeah. And then kind of turn on each other. Right. And the Megatron of that kind of era, when he's he's been taken down a peg, yeah. is really interesting. There's a really scary one that Furman wrote at the end of the UK run when Megatron and Ratchet get get fused together oh, cool. as part of an interdimensional warp accident. Right. And they're literally like, ah, like half, <laughs> half and half. And it used to give me incredible nightmares. It's really scary. So that, that one's quite fun too. And favourite Transformer in general? Yeah, favourite Transformer in general. But Autobot and Decepticon. <laughs> oh, I was, as a kid, I, I mean, I really like the Dinobots. I know that's yeah. a cliche again, but I really... And Simon Furman loved writing for them. I loved the stuff they did with Galvatron in, mm. the, in the UK comics. Right. Because Galvatron was basically this time-travelling nutcase. Right. Uh, who was just really powerful. And there's one when Megatron and Galvatron team up. Oh, wow. Like mo present day and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. modern uh, future versions of themselves. And it's called like twin, part, it's called Time Wars, but part of it's called Twins of Evil. There's a cover that says Twins of Evil mm. with the two of them with guns. And that was the first one I ever bought when I was a kid. Um, so I think, I think Comet Galvatron and for the Autobots. I think I love the movie so much mm. that I maybe maybe Optimus Prime purely for that stuff yeah. in the movie, mm. for the '86 movie yeah. is, and I've got a whole shelf of them at home, and I yeah. love them. And I used to really like Blaster, yeah. and I used to I really like. I've got an Omega Supreme at home, who's really, really big. Yeah, Billy, yeah. Billy, he's so big. Billy, yeah, Billy's he's so big. Yeah, he's massive. so big. And Omega Supreme does this amazing thing that he's he's basically <laughs> like a little mini train track yeah. and a rocket. And amazingly, the rocket takes off and arrives at Cybertron, and somehow the train track is there. It's, it's somehow there, and we don't, we don't know how. We don't know how. What a nerd, <laughs> honestly. But but my dream would be, uh, I'd love to do something about you know. I make documentaries about Doctor Who, <clears throat> but I've never been able to do something about Transformers. Yeah. That'd be cool. And I that would, would love be cool. That. There's some really good. There's some really good YouTubey stuff. Like there's a chat called Chris McFeely who does something called The Basics right. which I'd recommend to anybody because it, it takes each character yeah. or mm. each theme or 
subject to Transformers and breaks it down into mm. like a 10 minute video yeah. of everything. I might could give that a go. If, yeah. it, if it explains the yeah. bare basics from the beginning. It does. There's masses of lore for Transformers. Yeah. I thought I mean, it was just cars turning into robots and beating no, the shit out of no, each no, other. No, no, see, no. this was what frustrated me about the live action movies. Well, because yeah. see, that's I think the live action movies fail. The, the, the joy I have with Transformers is these inanimate objects that actually have full personalities mm. and law yeah. and a civilization and religion and everything oh behind God. them. That, and, and the other thing I'd recommend for you, Billy, mm. is uh, a very Some clever volume. chap called James Roberts. Right. Uh, has written a big comic called More Than Meets the Eye that mm. became Lost Light. And that's a kind of modern take on Transformers where there's this thing called functionalism uh, where, where Transformers becomes a metaphor for the class system, mm. where wow. if you're born into your body, if you're a digger or something, you're basically working class. Yeah. If, you're wow. a fight, if you're a jet, then you're like a flash boy. Mm. If and you're a Rolls Royce yeah. Yeah, aristocracy. And everybody's like, what are you supposed to be? You're, you're a rubbish alternate mode. And, yeah. uh, wow. And, and he's built, built the whole thing on that. Yeah. So, so, so James Roberts is a... I think James Roberts would be amazing writing for Doctor Who. And I know he's a big Red Dwarf fan. I think he's a pretty big Doctor Who fan. Right. Sounds all right in my books. He's yeah. a Red Dwarf fan. So that's your, that's your Transformers yeah. injection at the end there. Sorry I just, over the way. To, to segue into the next bit, I should edit in the... Da, 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 da. <laughs> Smiley face, sad face. Yes. <laughs> just Billy's confused face. Is that where that comes from? I thought it was Batman, the whirly thing with the face. Well, Batman does it, but yeah. then Transformers. Transformers does it better. Okay, yeah. all right. They, I think all the cartoons in the 80s had it. He-Man had it as well with the yeah, sword. Definitely. It was, always, it was always a good transitional point, wasn't yeah. it? We use them on our school as well. You know, that, right. but, but without the smiley face, sad face. We should do it with Doctor Who where it's like a sad Tom becomes like a yeah. happy Tom. Or something. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of photos of both you could find yeah, out there. Sure. A perfect headshots from the title sequences. <laughs> um, we've got a transition from that into something equally depressing oh, yeah. to talk about, which yeah. is of course the Time Warrior. Yeah, I mean it's not. No! It's, <laughs> no! it's not! It's not the Time Warrior. Time Monster! Oh, I see, look, I don't even care about this wow, story. Oh my god. I'm just, I'm no. checked out, I'm Go checked on. out. So what's happened here? Is because Billy's checked out. Is these guys that you've asked you asked me to come yeah. up with a, a guilty pleasure? A we guilty have. pleasure. But, yeah. but you you sent me like the rankings from Doctor Who yeah. yeah, and the bottom twenty or so. I mean, yeah, because yeah. that's always been the main sort of conceit of what we're doing. And yeah. and so you, we, a couple of them we've spoken about. Um, yeah. I think Silver Nemesis may have come up on the list as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like Silver Nemesis. I like, yeah, yeah. We like Silver Nemesis. Um, a couple of bits and bobs. I think Underworld might have been on there. Or yeah. Delta and the Bannerman was on there. Delta sure. and I, I would defend Delta as well. Yeah, yeah. I love Delta. Delta's yeah. good. Um, but you chose the Time Monster. The Time Monster. Yeah! So you didn't watch the Time Monster. I didn't watch the Time Monster in preparation. No, um, no. I, I did, uh, and I will tell you all now. If you are ever struggling with insomnia, put the Time Monster on because <laughs> I've tried to fall asleep so many times uh, watching that. Um, it's fun, and I think that's all I can say. <laughs> no, left it. There we go. No, this is your this, this is, is your, your stage yeah, here, Chris. Get on your sofa. And, and, uh, well, well, I I, I picked. The, the Time Monster from that list because weirdly it's it's I think it's the last Pertwee I ever saw. Mm. Right. I think it's one of those ones because it was very late coming out on VHS mm. in the range and so I probably didn't watch it until excuse me about 2004 or so mm. like really late on. Um, and so it was kind of this 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 thing I was holding back and and got to enjoy very late and and the Pertwees are always the era that I find most comfortable. Yeah, and something same. like Terror of the Autons is this lovely duvet yeah. of, of the unit family. Mm. And, and the Time Monster has always been significant because it's the, it's the last time that family are kind of all really together. Now, yeah. obviously I know you've got things like Planet of the Spiders and stuff when they're kind of together, but, but, but obviously this is the penultimate story that Roger Delgado does. Yes, mm. yeah. uh, and, it, and it's very self-consciously, 
even down to who's directing it. You know, and, well, not not directing, but but the fact that that Barry Letts is collaborating with Robert Sloman, mm. and it's the season finale following season finale that they've done with the demons. Yeah, and so. They probably think they're making something that's like, yeah, this is, this, let's go out on a high again like that. But it has this thing that I love about it, that it feels like a proper end of the pier, panto season, mm. all your favourites are here. Yeah. There's something that's so comfortable about it mm. uh, that I love it. Now, Katie Manning, I've spoken to her about Time Monster. Yeah. Katie doesn't remember anything about of all of the stories that Katie did. <laughs> yeah. She literally she's like, I don't have remember. No it, have no memory of it whatsoever. Wow. So I don't know if it was that end of year they're yeah. just so knackered yeah. that they just that they just did it and it happened. But it's kind of it's kind of this invisible Pertwee that nobody mm. really talks about. Yeah. And we always used to see pictures of Kronos and Ingrid yeah. Pitt in the in the <clears> books <throat> and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and when I watched it, I just thought this is so lovable and mm. silly and all the kind of or the come Kronos come yeah, and yeah. It, it's 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 got this kind of vibe of of a seventies hammer, mm. but but with a panto kind of carry on element yeah. to it. Yeah, very carry on, mm. which I really like. Yeah. And, and I I went through a phase after I first saw it that I would just ha- I would have it on in the background all the time. <laughs> I'd, I'd come home from the pub and be like, what shall I put on? It? <laughs> all the time, monster. And I and, and I just found it so comforting, and and I don't care. That it's not very good. I don't, I I, I'm not. I'm not saying it, it's a great, uh, no. underrated Doctor Who story. Yeah. I think it's crap. Yeah. But I think it's so lovely mm. and warm mm. and cuddly, and it allows itself stupid things like kind of Baby Benton. Yes. Yeah. And and all that. And and I love that. Uh, and, and I just I just really enjoy it, and I want to give it a big hug yeah. whenever it's on. Yeah. I do. I all I remember from it is Ingrid Pitt. And the bizarre device, the, things, the rather phallic, <laughs> and the rather phallic-looking device. Oh, it's very phallic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, must be yeah. somebody must have been having yeah. a laugh in the. Props I was department. suggesting to Lee Binding that when he comes to do the design for that cover, <laughs> that should be the thing that yeah. John Pertwee should be, be having the penis locator. Yeah, definitely. Well, I watched this with Jonathan. He was like, "Oh, I'll watch it with you," because he likes the Time Monster as well. Yeah. Um, and my girlfriend likes it. She was like, "No, this is a good story." I was like, okay. So we sat down and watched it, and I was like, oh, here comes the, the penis locator. And he was like, what? I was like, this thing looks like a dick. And he was it's like, cock and balls. Yeah. That that? And then he saw it, and he was like, oh my God, I've never noticed that before. So then when the doctor's like, oh, what's the reading, Joe? And she's like, oh, and I was like, yes, check, check the right testicle. And the left <laughs> testicle saying this. If, if, if only the balls like rotated yes. or something, oh. that would be. Because it's got, it has got a spinny thing it's on, got a spinny thing on, on the, the top. It's got a spinny thing on the top. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, think, I, I just love it. And, 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 and I, I'm sure that they designed that. They must have known. Yeah. Yeah. People had cocks and balls in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently. Sort of so. <laughs> but I think I think that does feed into the the kind of yeah end of term mm. kind of very. It's almost Doctor Who yeah. kind of sending itself up in a in it a way. Is. It's like the the final school play of, yeah. the, of term, isn't it? Um, it's so it's so strange. And then I think they obviously know that it's too silly because yeah. season ten season ten's got got so many great stories yeah. mm. and and the green death is is an end of end of season like yeah. but it has much more of a backbone and, and it's got a much better script mm. yeah. than Time Monster does and it's much better it's got much better direction from Michael Brown. But I, I just think 
I, I want to watch it now. Should we just watch it now? Why not? <laughs> Let's Why watch not? It now. I, I you guys had, should watch it now. Too. I haven't had a good sleep in a while, so I'd be very happy to sit down with it and give it a watch. Weirdly, I remember less. I'm less fond of the Atlantis stuff. I think some yeah. people yeah. say they really like the Atlantis stuff. Yeah. But the Minotaur stuff is all a bit. Yeah. It's all a bit crap. A bit crap. Yeah. But it's the stuff at the beginning with the college thing. Yes. And the master pretending to be a professor. Yeah. 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 And his students. Just, uh, the two students are just a bit weird, aren't uh-huh. they? Yeah. 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 All the kind of stewpot stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just all a bit weird. Yeah. And I, and I like that. I really like that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it does take a very weird turn. Like watching it, I was like, so episode four is almost predominantly set in the TARDISes. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And it's like nothing is really happening to progress the plot at all. It's just all this weird stuff about, oh, I've bashed my tailbone. Oh, you're coccyx. It's like, right, okay, hilarious. Get on with it. And then, <laughs> then it's like John Pertree's like talking about some bloody Venusian and this, that, and the other. I'm like, oh, just get on with the story. Come on. Uh, and then we get to Atlantis, and yeah. then it's all very, it feels very stilted and very mm. wooden. I think mm. you've got the king, who's excellent, mm. um, but then you've got like his son, who doesn't quite commit to it in the same way. And <laughs> You I need think, to commit to these things. Don't yeah, you? yeah, I think he's just aware, like, oh Christ, I've got a little skirt on and I've got a bloody daft wig on my head. <laughs> what you the know? fuck is that? <laughs> I, I went to Rada. What, what am I doing here? I think it's, the, it's probably the first three episodes yeah. are the things that I go back to. Yeah. There's just something about it. And it's Paul, Paul Bernard, isn't it, is the director mm. on that one, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, I, 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 I do love it. And, and, yeah. and I, I watched those first three episodes in particular over and over. Mm. And I think... The other thing that I noticed with those first three episodes, is it the first time like Doctor Who really plays around with the manipulation of time outside of travelling in time? Mm. Because we have all that stuff where um, things are being slowed down, people are getting frozen, you know, mm. the, the, the bomb is dropped, mm. which is taken from the 40s yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Can't really think of another story. No. No, you were, 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 were. I'm just I'm just cycling through the history of Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We do that all the time. Yeah, the only thing I could think of was the start of the Space Museum, yes. where Vicky drops the glass. She drops the glass. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, it's tended not to... It's been more like a Red Dwarfy kind of thing over the years, hasn't it, than a, yeah. do, than a Doctor Who thing. Uh, no, that probably is to that extent. Although, haven't we had... I feel like we've had cavemen... Not, not cavemen, but people from the past who found themselves... I guess, well, actually, Invasion of the Dinosaurs is afterwards, isn't it? Yeah. So that idea yeah. of transporting yeah. creatures yeah. through time. And that's Robert Soman as well, isn't it? No, that's uh, Mac Hulk. Oh, it's Mac Hulk, yeah. Uh, but I can't think of one before. There must be. I mean, I guess you've got, you know, whatever else it's done, it's, it's more like time travel within a story, mm. like mm. kind of Evil of the Daleks style yeah. stuff, but it's not, it's not the same. So, yeah. so you're right, that's a reason. It's a pioneering. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Pioneering time monster. We've found our answer. The one good thing about it, there we go. Rather than poor Kronos, poor bloke with a bucket on his head. I know. His arms. Oh, dear. It's, when, it's when they're swinging him back and forth. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, he's not got a lot of room to swing. <laughs> <No>. just... <laughs> Crikey. Well, there we go. That's the other fence of the time... Monster. Uh, yeah. Um, Chris, thank you very much for coming along. Thank Is there you. anything you want to plug or let people yeah. know about or, you know? Oh, only that I think by the time you see this, uh, season 22 will be either with people imminent. or yeah, yeah. imminent. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope everybody enjoys it. We, we, we always have fun making it. And I think with all the sets, they're, they're, it's a whole group of people, like a mm. real ensemble of people mm. who, who love it, who love doing it. So I hope that comes across. I hope people can see that love. 
Definitely. Look out for my pink beanie on location, location, location. Yeah. Well, can it sign my copy? It, it can. It, oh, I should have brought it. You should have done, shouldn't Gutted. you? Yeah. It, 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 was it was a set. very handy beanie, wasn't it? It was a very handy beanie. Nicola was very happy. Uh, when we filmed at Ironbridge, uh, we, Nicola, it was a, quite a very cold day, was it? it was chilly I think day. it was It was colder than we thought it was going to be. And yeah. She definitely wanted her willies. Yeah. No, and, and, and fortunately, you had a lovely pink beanie with you that... Uh, uh, that would have looked delectable on you and yeah. looked even better on Well, it, it, it did. I'm gallant of you to... I know, isn't it? Know. It's not Give like she just went, yeah, head. I'll have that. And yeah. oh, oh, okay, I've lost my beanie for the day. There we go. Uh, you became a pub landlord that day. I became a pub... Yeah, the green room for that shoot was in the pub at the museum, which was wonderful. So I got to stand behind the bar and serve drinks to Colin and Nicola and the rest of the crew. That sounds like your dream scenario. Oh, my... God. It was, it was up landlord. there. It was up but there. But all the punters are Doctor Who actors. Yeah. Maybe we should just run a pub. You can only come in if we can see yeah. your CV and we see That's your CV on there. It's a sitcom waiting to happen. It, it, it had a, a roaring fireplace, didn't it, as well? Oh, it was so beautiful. It was the and they set it up going for us while we were off shooting. And we came back and went, oh, we lit a fire. Oh, my God, it's mm. perfect. And everyone was very, very Every nice. green room should be a pub. If it I think be like so. An, an old traditional pub as a green room. Absolutely. Perfect, perfect. Here we go. Well, thank you very much. And thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank more you for having welcome, me on. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. What are we doing next? Next, we're going to be talking about, uh, actually very fittingly, Attack of the Cybermen. Yeah. Which I'm tremendously excited for, which yeah. we watched the other day. We watched it with Banksy, who was uh, Cyberman. With, yes, who yeah. may or may not yeah. I have a cyber leader, a full cell is... Oh, not actual leader. David Banks. No, no, no sadly uh, not. Yeah. Not but suspended he's, he's, in a cabinet He's been named by one of our patrons. He said, why don't you name him yeah. Banksy? Oh, that's good. I was like, it's oh, perfect. of course, it's it David Banks. It's the Bristol Connection. So Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, join us next time. Maybe come in for that just to do the voiceover. Um, We'll be back for Attack of the Sidemen. So, see you then. Bye. 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 Bye.